You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. 警告 ！Thunder Talk 说客气话。Tahdiron, kalam uradi huwa muhtawa nadi. Avertissement: Thunder Talk est pour un public mature. Waarschuwing: Thunder Talk is for a volwassen public. 警告 ！Thunder Talk は子供向けではありません。Günüm, seçtiğiniz dilde seslendirme özelliği aktif değil. Avertimento. Thunder Talk è solo per adulti. Cetavni, Thunder Talk me pari pak vsamagri. Seçtiğiniz dilde seslendirme özelliği aktif değildir. Ango, Thunder Talk'ın sangin çanyongimida. Predijenie, Thunder Talk tolka dlev zrosla. Warnung, Thunder Talk enthält ausgereifte Inhalte. Warning, Thunder Talk contains foul language, adult subject matter, and is intended for mature audiences. Welcome to this very special issue of Thunder Talk. Tonight we're taking you backstage at the Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival. Kavika, Anthony, Beth, and Dan conducted a ton of interviews with many of this year's participants. Mark and Dan also discussed their sci-fi where you least expect it panel, while I deliver this week's WTLK the Thunder. Oh, and the first person to spot Wheatley gets a free T-shirt. Eventually, Lightning Lad. Roll the thunder. Thunder talk. So, in my capacity as a media representative for the ESO network, I reached out. Mike from ESO reached out. Mark, the other Avenger who's not here right now, you'll hear from him later in the episode. We all reached out to the Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival to see if you know we could do some interviews. We can get out there, and you know.、Uh, Shake the hands and you know, kiss some make, babies. Kiss some babies. <laughs> get some sci-fi babies. That's right. Well,、uh, expecting you know maybe a couple of interviews here and there.、Uh, I found myself at some point very early Saturday morning having no less than fourteen interviews. <laughs> a deluge, as it were. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So you know, I know what you th- are thinking out there in internet radio land. Well, Dan, you're a beast. You you were born for this, and I would say I agree. However, some <laughs> some sometimes a beast needs help too. So I reached out to some of the、uh, some of the Thunderverses, Mightiest Avengers. We have Beth, of course, the Spy Master. She's everywhere. She knows everything. Beth, how you doing? Uh, I am fabulous. And that hair is looking fabulous too, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I'm. I love it. Go creep Beth on Facebook. You will be so jealous of that hair.、Uh, he can't miss Master of.、Uh, I mean, I'm going to try to make a Hawkeye analogy here, bro. But I not Hawkeye's Anthony Arbizo. Everyone, my good friend. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who goes back to the what are the there, we have the lost episodes, then we have the very very lost episodes, the ones that were only being loaded to YouTube episodes one, two, and three and stuff. Well, Anthony, if you remember the five of you out there, you used to be in the credits,、uh, assistant producer, and we had、uh, we had、uh, champagne wishes and YouTube dreams back then, yeah. From the Mirror Universe, actually. And the, yeah,、I'm、that's the, right. I'm the、yeah. evil Anthony, yeah. And the Mirror Universe, <laughs> actually, in the Mirror Universe, you're the good Dan. <laughs> oh God! Oh damn! Yeah, that, that's、uh, a that's a thinker. No, I you know that is a real thinker. I've been thinking about doing an episode where we have nothing but other people on the show, like not us. <laughs> <laughs> in, in the 
I mean, like, I thought I was listening to Thunder Talk. I don't know who the fuck these people yeah, are. Yeah, right. <laughs> they, they, just, they just do a regular ass show, you know, like, like yeah. not missing a beat. Yeah. And of course, you know, you may have a Hulk, but we have a Kavika. That's right. <laughs> What's up, Kavika? Kavika smash. That's right. <laughs> I mean, that, that's kind of how it is. Yeah. So my uh, my dear friends here jumped on board and we uh, well, we did some interviews. Well, we did much less. We, we did only a video because you gave us so little time. You're like, oh, by the way, today, would you like to record some interviews? We're like, uh... Well, we could do one. <laughs> well, also, we have our new family member who yes. cuts into our, our free time. He is a disaster. Every day when uh, Riker wakes up, he just he's looking to tear shit up. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Thir- 13-week-old puppy. He's, you know, he's not yeah. potty trained fully yet. He loves to buy everything and he loves to wake us up at 6 30 a.m every day and just i mean you might get woken up more than that though so it's just every day it's just an exhausting baby you know kind of thing but it is what it is though you know he'll get this too will pass but then then it will only sometimes take a shit in your house (laughs) only sometimes Yeah. yeah basically yeah i'll take a puppy over getting spiced my sunday up by dan Get that phone call. <laughs> hey, hey, guess what? I have more stuff for you to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, let's let's hear some interviews. How about that instead? And now, the man of the hour, the mastermind behind the Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival, Mr. Troy Bernier. Troy, how you doing? I'm doing well. Doing Excellent. well. Excellent. Now, uh, before we get going, you have an announcement to make. Yes, boy, it's uh, it's been a roller coaster ride these past many months, but uh, it came to a period just these past uh, say week, two weeks, where we noticed just some unusual lack of responses from a lot of our our selected films. Right. Uh, we you know we were told oh we either people didn't get their emails or things like we don't know why. We don't know what's going on, uh, where they, they kind of dropped off the face of the earth from our channels. Okay. We expected this year to be a slow year. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Right. About half of our films come from the U.S. and the other half of the films come from outside of the U.S. Right. And from all over much part of the world, we lost contact with people that we would expect to be a bit more responsive sure. to find out that they're in a film. However, we received a huge amount of films this year compared to two previous years. Mm-hmm. We have 120 films this year. Wow. Yes. And which is fantastic. And it's so fantastic. We even expanded the schedule, all of these good things. But to make a long story short, if we pull the ripcord, about 20% of our films, 30% are going to get left behind because right. the, the onboarding process is not automated because they missed the first, second, third trial of right. this run of this. Right. And it's done manually now. And uh, we just decided the best thing to do would be to um, postpone, not postpone, but just to push back the festival a couple weeks because people who are in the Midwest have been hammered. They don't have access to the internet the way they would, the way they would like. They're they're not even in their homes. 
uh, we're, we're being told by some folks in India that they just received all the information. Right. People didn't know what was going on. And, and, and I guess they're in lockdowns in some areas. Some places don't have electricity. So, you know, we just felt like, look, our mission is to promote the filmmaker. Right. And yeah. if we can't effectively promote everybody, then we're not fulfilling our mission. The best thing to do is to get a consensus. And if everybody's okay, um, let's just push it back two weeks so we can get everybody on board properly and we're able to do the things that we need to do for them. So what are the new dates? So the new dates are now Tuesday, March 9th to March 14th, which is a Sunday. Okay, so everyone, all of our dear listeners out there, within the course of this show and some of the interviews you you may hear the 23rd or the 28th brought up. You may hear, you know, appearing this week at the festival. That's wrong. It's no longer the case. The dates are March 9th through the 14th. So let's not get it twisted. If you hear us say this or say that about it, you haven't missed it. It's still happening March 9th through the 14th. Hey, guys, why don't we listen to one of those really cool ESO network commercials? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I've been waiting for you to say it. Everyone these days could use a little support. And your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. We are here with Razan Takash and her film Midas or M1 Das. I won't spoil anything, but this film has such a twist. Uh, it's going to be worth your time to check this out after after this interview here. Uh, Razan, pl- a pleasure to have you here. Good, good evening. Good evening. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you could tell us a little bit about your film. Sure. Um, So Midas is a short science fiction film um, set in the near future. Um, It's about a woman who is tasked with uh, doing a sort of a Turing test for a child robot, a child robot that is designed to be the perfect child. It comes um, without a personality. It's also uh, asexual and uh, genderless. And then it sort of starts to morph into what the parents would want to become the perfect child. So she's uh, stuck with testing it before it's uh, launched during an expo because the technical team couldn't come and it starts to morph into what her child would be and thus the conflicting feelings (laughs) that come with that. Hi Midas, how did you sleep? Mom? Because ultimately she would be meant for uh, a client. She's there as a test bed to show this expo what this company's capable of doing. Mm-hmm. And one would be that, that this child would uh, would would lock on, if you will, to the to the client and their wants and needs, and move forward from there. He or she. He or she. That's right. Because again, it is yeah. it is a genderless being at first. Yeah. Right. It honestly made me feel like some of the best of of classic Twilight Zone. That's awesome. Oh, hey, it's it's <laughs> that's it's, great. The storytelling was really pure. It really had a classical feeling to it. Uh, and certainly with an authenticity that I appreciated. 
the space, the room used f- uh, to film in, you you use as a filmmaker, you used every inch. We we it, yeah. it, 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 there's a more claustrophobic feeling that 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 moves in as the story unfolds, as a perceived crisis perhaps begins. You use every inch of that space beautifully. Uh, where was it shot? This was shot in a hotel room. So um, I live in Dubai, and right. this film was actually a script that I made for a film competition for a hotel that wanted to produce original scripts. And we were shortlisted. We wrote it in like a night, you know, one wow. night, me and the screenwriter, Nadal Murra. Um, we wrote it like very quickly because we found out about the deadline the day before and we just sure. wrote this idea. I was like, two pe- it was supposed to be a two-header, two people in a hotel room. And I was like, you know what? We don't want to do the typical couple thing. You know, we were like, let's do something right. interesting and different. And I went for a Turing test, you know, a person and a robot. Sure. You know? And then from that, the story developed into the idea it became. And we actually were were part of the top 10, but then they didn't pick our film because they said it's too expensive. It's sci-fi, oh, not I producible. See. I so see. I went and I did it out of pocket. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> to prove that it is producible. It is producible, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so we rented out a hotel room and uh, we decorated it to what you see. So it's full of LED lights and right. things like that. Um, very cheap LED lights and props and, you know, things that are made out of wood that don't look like wood, you know, things like that. And uh, yeah, that's the space. The only thing that I needed was um, there are multiple shots of her in the mirror. And then you see this repetition of her, which sort of leads into or sets up the concept of, you know, the assembly line, uh, the multiple versions of this. And that was an important shot. So it was a struggle getting a room that looked like that whilst having those mirrors um, to give me those like multiple images and versions of, of the machine. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Thank you. Definitely. Mom. Hi, Midas. How was your sleep? What just happened? Where did I go? Uh, so filmmaking, how, how do you come to that? I know you said this was part of a competition. What is your story prior to that? And what is both your story and the story of, of Midas as a short film on the f- short film circuit moving forward? Well, so I, uh, I've had a f- passion for film since I was a kid. I've been a film buff all my life. I grew up in Jordan, um, where okay. we don't really have access to a lot of things, um, but, you know, I just was a kid who really loved sci-fi and genre films and fantasy and things like that. And I was the only one I knew who liked that kind of stuff, but I was just obsessed with it. And as I grew older, um, I dabbled a little bit in theater and things like that. Then I moved to Dubai here when I was 18, which is, you know, our big apple in the Middle East. It's sort of like the land of opportunity. Right. And in college, you know, I found a mentor, a film professor who taught me. And then I went to film school and I got a master's in film. And then from then on, it just became my life's passion. So I teach film at the university here as a professor of film and television production by day. And at night, I try to make short films (laughs) whenever I can. Um, So I've uh, it's usually been competitions because, you know, there isn't really an industry here. So it's hard to motivate people to work on a film with you unless there's a competition. There's a thing happening. Right. Um, So I started doing a lot of the 48 hour film projects where you have to make a film in 48 hours. And I did I I, I tried once and we failed. And then the second time like we didn't even make the deadline. But then the second time I tried, we did a film called Shahmat um, and we won. We won first place and we toured with that film. 
And that really just motivated me to start trying to make my own short films and right. to eventually, hopefully, get funding and start doing proper, you know, feature films and TV series and things like that. That's the plan. That's the idea. That's why we do these festivals, right? Get our names out yeah. there. And uh, the Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival, is there, uh, what, what about that venue specifically drew you to want to uh, enter your film? Well, I mean, it's really me trying to cast as big of a net as possible for this film specifically, sure. Sure. Uh, because I've I've had I've have a, I have a lot of like genre scripts that I've been working on dystopian zombie comedies like I weird love it. stuff. You're you're, you're, <laughs> you're totally talking my my language right now. <laughs> yeah, it's what I love also, but I'm stuck somewhere where nobody even like begins thinking about making these things. It's very tough. So I'm trying, I was like, my plan is to make this film, put it in as many festivals, get a worldwide reach, because right. in the region, it's very hard to get any kind of support. But outside of here, there's a lot of niche uh, when it comes to this genre stuff. And I'm like, I want them to know that I exist. And then hopefully I can start making things where, you know, we're not like, because the making of Midas was a nightmare production wise. Like it was just sure. insane. Um, so I want to operate under human um, circumstances and, <laughs> right. and standards, you know, Geneva right. convention yeah, level right. of, <laughs> of filmmaking. You want, you want some basic standards yeah. in your filmmaking, some basic understanding, allowing for some basic success. Yeah. Yeah. So I did my research on what's out there right. um, for people like me. And I found that the Miami sci-fi festival had like these little pockets of tiny small films that are not necessarily high budget, not necessarily, you know, grand in scale, but they, they, they tend to give them a platform. I was like, I'll give it a shot. And sure. thank God they, they took me in and I'm, I'm very happy to be part of uh, their program and a bunch of other programs now internationally. Right. Uh, we're, we're touring with this film. We're supposed to physically go and, you know, network, but, you know, COVID has limited us in, in crazy ways. I would be speaking with you at, at a hotel in Dubai or Miami right now. Maybe I'll make it yeah. out to Dubai one day and we'll uh, we'll have some coffee and talk about local film there. But, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, but here we are, right? Doing the, the virtual thing. We are living in a sci-fi film already. We are living Happen. in a sci-fi film. <laughs> yes. I uh, Well, hopefully not much longer. Hopefully. So where can everyone find your work? How how could people reach out to you, fans and whatnot? Well, what is your, your presence on, on the internet, social media? Sure. So personally, I have a Vimeo page in my name where some of my older films can be seen. Um, and I mean, Midas is still not available publicly because it's still going around right. the festival circuit. Um, but uh, so my name, Razan Takash um, on Vimeo and on IMDb. And I also have um, a YouTube channel that's another site project that I work on, which is called Raz Reviews. And it's oh, okay. basically I review movies uh, on YouTube. So that's also somewhere people can find me uh, on YouTube and on Instagram as well. Razan Takash. The film is Midas playing at the Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival. Go ahead and check out her work. Uh, Razan, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for having me. This past weekend, I had the pleasure of corresponding with Ren Chao Wang, director of the film Deep In, one of the submissions from China into this year's Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival. Please tell our audience a, a little bit about your film. Shenkong is a film that 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 is a film
讲述人类最新一代深空。Deep In is a science fiction film set in the future 1,000 years later. It tells a story of how the latest version of human deep space colonization starship Kunlun Mountain is hijacked by a mysterious space crew during their voyage. 空的背景设定以及引人入胜的悬念设置。The film strives to portray a grander world setting beyond the scope of the story and introduces elements of suspense. The audience is invited to follow the footsteps of the protagonist to solve a huge mystery about the human space migration project, as well as the protagonist's own emotional troubles. Despite a strained budget, we managed to build our imaginary world from scratch. The story takes place in a giant starship, two to three kilometers in length. In order to accurately reflect that, our set covered thousands of square meters. The finalized 104 minute film also includes a prologue that includes the story of the human migration project, as well as the protagonist's own emotional troubles. Despite a strained budget, we managed to build our imaginary world from scratch. Approximately 1,400 special effects shots and a 17-minute-long CG footage. Each of our partners worked hard to accomplish the impossible feat during the two-year post-production process. From plot to visuals, I guarantee that Deep In will be one-of-a-kind Starship science fiction fan film that fans cannot miss out on. Why do you believe the Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival is a great venue to show your film, Deep In? Despite the limitations. Due to the limited budget, we were unable to include more diversity in the film's cast. However, the story of the film itself is based on the premise that all humanity shares the same future. The 剧本构想当中呢。In my original script, the starship's crew was supposed to be multicultural, multi-ethnic, and multilingual. 尽管有着这些。Setting practical constraints aside, we wish to heighten university and unity. Therefore, after we completed the production of the film, we immediately knew that we wanted it to be more than just a Chinese science fiction film exclusive to a domestic audience. We hope that by showcasing Deep In at the Miami International Science Fiction Film Festival, a platform that brings together science fiction lovers and filmmakers from all over the world, we can share it with as many people as possible. What personal connection do you have with the story? What what inspired the story of Deep In? First, I very love science fiction films. This group of people gathered on a ship. First of all, I am a huge fan of starship movies. The archetype of a group of people gathering on a ship, forming relationships with each other while exploring the unknown together, is very appealing to me. A starship movie allows the storyteller to engage in storytelling on both a macro and a micro level, combining grandiose worldviews with deeply personal narratives. As a child, I loved watching science fiction films like Star Trek that explore the unknown. This curiosity is our motivation. So, I hope we can protect such ideas. I believe that this subgenre represents human curiosity, the fundamental drive that inspires us, and I hope to preserve that. 费马大定理的证明过程，我们看到了在三百多年里面啊。I created the story of Deep In based on my reading of history. What first inspired me was how multiple generations across a span of 300 years helped each other in proving the Fermat's theorem. Despite the time span, humans were still able to work together toward the same grand cause. The human space migration project in Deep In draws power from that kind of humanity. However, if we gaze back at history retrospectively, we would discover that human beings are prone to repeating previous mistakes. Science fiction films thus give me the possibility to portray conflicts and mistakes that have not happened yet, so that we can in turn use a future imagination to reflect upon on our own present. 当今的世界呢，充满了各种冲突，并且还在不断的加剧。
The world today is full of conflicts that escalate with the passing of every day. Technological advancement, instead of bridging gaps, has pushed our society towards more extreme dichotomies. On one hand, I pessimistically believe that human nature plays a role in this. And perhaps the human race needs to evolve in general in order to cross deep space together with our current technology. On the other hand, I wish to demonstrate through deep in that mutual respect and the ability to seek for commonness amidst differences are crucial to problem solving. Science fiction as a drama is important because we bring enlightenment to our present reality by imagining alternative scenarios involving extreme conditions. Therefore, despite the story of Deep In takes place thousands of years from now, we are able to reconcile the future and the present to the greatest extent by having human characters continuously wreak havoc on the environment and participating in internal strife, so that our audience can understand the future tense story based on their knowledge and experience of the present reality. This way, as science fiction film, Deep In could also demonstrate a certain social relevance instead of ending up as a simple visual spectacle. This is my goal. And again, that was Ren Chao Wang, director of the film Deep In. And certainly we would like to thank Ren and his entire crew for joining us here on Thunder Talk. In the summer of 1980, Tony Montana began one of the largest narcotic empires this world has ever seen. Tyler Council, creator of the short film Scarspace. Welcome to the show, Tyler. Hey, man. Thanks for having me, Dan. Uh, Scarspace is a comedy, more specifically, a movie trailer parody. Yeah, so uh, Scarspace is like an extended six-minute sci-fi comedy, like you said, mostly comedy trailer, as if... uh, at the end of Scar Space, everything worked out. He didn't get killed, and he ended up taking over the world. So uh, the next thing in his progression is obviously taking over the universe. So it's as if uh, Tony blasts into space, and uh, it's just like a narcotic adventure. It's ape shit. It's, it's <laughs> definitely ape shit, yeah. First you get the space coke, then you get the ray guns. What is that, spatula? It's a space gun, you dick. Sweet Jane. You die, fucker! Then you get the P quadrant. I said the P quadrant, not the C quadrant, you fuck! Uh, uh, never since, uh, not since the uh, the movie Heavy Metal have I wanted to do so much uh, so much space coke. You know, there's only one way to do space coke is you just take a handful and slam it aggressively into your face, all over your face. That's right. Yeah. It's the only way it works. Everybody knows that. It's the only way I do my space <laughs> coke. That's for sure. Yeah, man. Why why go this route? Why why do a space parody like this or a trailer parody? Okay, yeah. So uh, I have a sketch comedy YouTube channel with over like 200 views. And um, one of the actors in my comedy troupe, Anthony Hernandez, just uh, came up to me and just said the words, Scar Space. <laughs> and that was enough for me. I was like, yeah, we're doing it. So myself and another real idiot uh, member, um, Samuel Villamazar, sat down, wrote this thing in a day, and uh, we started lining things up, and we're like, uh, it's going to be fun and pretty easy, all one location, all at my house, uh, green screen, um, and we went from there. Tell us a bit about your, your sketch comedy YouTube channel. 
Yeah, so the channel's called uh, The Real Idiots, um, R-E-E-L, like movie real. Right. Uh, started it uh, about eight or nine years ago, but have been really like pushing it and trying to up our quality of content the last like five years or so. We've got a, about 6,200 subscribers, close to 6 million views. So we're like really trying to push it now and definitely be more consistent. But uh, it's definitely absurd, offbeat, edgy alternative humor i would call it right. um and the in the vein of, vein of like tim and eric portlandia uh that type of that type of humor that's my jam um, yeah so we just released a new one wednesday called biopets that's doing really well uh it's a uh it's a infomercial sci-fi infomercial comedy parody about if you wanted to uh get a new pet all you have to do is order our biopet semen <laughs> and and with little you just pop it in your ass and then in three weeks you have your own brand new baby bio pet Good so true. it just makes it feel like you know more <laughs> like part of the family when it comes from you um so that was pretty crazy but yeah <laughs> i definitely recommend that one yeah, anything you want you want an eagle from paris just let us know you you, you hit up our bio squadron we'll send you the proper goods and uh in three weeks you got a your own you eagle take our remarkably effective bioped dosage by tenderly lying flat on your back lifting both feet above your shoulders and driving the fertilization dose deep into your anal captivity we beg of you please be no further away than five feet from a standard in-wall air conditioning unit which must be set to heat here at biopets we artificially inseminate you or your wife with the pet of your choice and in only a few short weeks you'll give birth to a new family member. And as for the, the YouTube site, your career, you know, before you're dead, what, what are your goals? Well, uh, that'll be pretty soon when I'm dead, but, uh, hey, same here, brother. Uh, no. <laughs> right now, um, I'm a, I'm in Vegas for the next month, uh, working on a TV show called street outlaws for discovery channel. I'm cool. a camera operator for the show. So that's how I've been making my money for the past like handful of years. Right. Um, and then in my free time, I'm always just shooting comedy stuff. That's my baby. Pimp yourself. Where can everyone find you, your work out there on the internet? Yeah. So it's the real idiots, uh, R E E L idiots. Uh, we're on YouTube. That's our biggest, that's kind of like our Mecca, but then we also have Instagram, Facebook. Uh, I finally moved over to the dark side. My daughter convinced me to start a TikTok. So I'm <laughs> trying to grab that 18 to 24 demographic, but we'll see. You can catch his short film, Scar Space, at the Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival. You said it. Coming to your life emulator this Christmas. Scar Space is proudly presented by Hog Snort Chili. It's fucking chili, baby. My name is Mark McCrane. I'm the author of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives. I'm Dan Kling, co-host of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. The Best Saturdays of Our Lives features programming trends from the 1966 television season all the way through the last hurrah of the early digital age of the 1990s. On the show, if it's animated, we talk about it. Order your signed copy today at tbsool.com. And listen to the podcast at esonetwork.com and all podcast platforms. JT Wheatley here from the History of Comics Podcast. Two of the interviews we conducted this weekend will not be appearing in this episode, but instead will air in the next several weeks on the Earth Station One podcast. The first was with Melissa Mars about her masterwork, The Last Touch, a vision of the future that will make you rethink our present. 
Next was Lucas Zopa and his modern classic Dominion Evolution, a chilling take on some of today's most topical issues. Again, both interviews will be airing on the ESO Network's flagship show, Earth Station One. If the ESO Network were the Federation, Earth Station One would be the Enterprise. Thunder Talk would be more like Deep Space Nine, even though Dan thinks he's Captain Janeway. Funny thing is, every time he takes the personality test, he comes up as Captain Archer, and he hates Captain Archer. And now, a brief transmission for our friends at the Earth Station One. We are the Earth Station One podcast, and we approve this message. Hey, I'm Judy, and I've been a listener of Earth Station One for over 10 years. Yeah, every day while Mike edited together over 550 episodes, you know all that geek-themed blah, blah, blah. I've listened so much that now I hear howdy in my sleep. You, too, can enjoy all the Earth Station One fun wherever fine podcasts are found. Okay, Mike... I did this for you. Are we going to get another dog now? The Earth Station One podcast. Over 10 years for geeks by geeks. <laughs> Coming to us live from Brazil, filmmaker Diego Rossi, creator of the film The Orca. Aorca. Thanks for the invitation. I had to extend an invitation. I, 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 I saw the film. I loved it. Now, it's a story that kind of centers on betrayal, if I'm not... Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a story about betrayal, like you said. Uh, it's set in a casino, intergalactic casino in space. And two friends, like former work friends, end up meeting in this casino. And as they are talking, we start feeling something eerie in the air. And uh, that maybe one of them betrayed the other. And then the story goes on from that. É a minha teoria. Ah, em parte, né? Você nunca conseguir colocar essa teoria em prática, ela não funciona. A dobra espacial só faz sentido quando aplicada em naves de pequeno porte. Você nunca ia conseguir colocar um cruzeiro desse em dobra. Você não sabe disso. Eu não sei disso. Eu só precisava de mais tempo, Stanley. Você sabe. As a storyteller, how do you balance the science and the fiction? Well, since this was a very low-budget movie, when I wrote it, I had in my mind that the whole technology side of it wouldn't be visible, right? It would only be on the, the dialogue and that kind of thing. Um, so I had the idea to do that, that they worked together and that they were in this invention and that the place that they are at, it's like the last cruise that exists because uh, now that this invention exists, right? The warp speed, they don't need that kind of thing anymore. It's like vintage. So I think I tried to to mix the, the technology like that, I believe. It's, it's almost like we're, we're speaking with, uh, with Steve Jobs, if you will, the night before the iPhone came out, <laughs> you know? Yeah, sure. <laughs> but we find out Steve Jobs has Sorry. some skeletons in his closet that come back to visit him on the eve of his success. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that makes a lot of sense because when I was pitching this idea to my friends, when we made, I used that example oh, okay. of Steve Jobs. Yeah. Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, like uh, electric cars, you know, that kind of thing. Well, hey, man, your your storytelling is on point. Swing and sell. Yeah. Me and sell. Olha só o que os banners dizem. Stanley Shams, o gênio. Aside from the Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival, uh, which is a great venue, certainly to, to have your film play, uh, have you been moving through the, the sci-fi and short film festival circuit globally? 
Yeah, well, the movie has been selected to, I believe, eight festivals, short festivals, uh, all around the globe. Like in India, there was one called Cosmo Film Festival, and then in Europe, in Italy, there were some festivals. It's very cool that it was shown. It was shown actually in, uh, I think, in North Carolina in the United States. Oh, God. In a drive-in. I'm in South yeah. Carolina. I'm sorry I missed that. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. That's very cool. Man, I can imagine, you know, sitting there, popping my trunk at a drive-thru and, and definitely watching this. You know, it was such a, such a great film. Uh, where can people find you out on the Internet? Uh, how can they see your work, your social medias? Sure. I have an Instagram um, that's uh, at Diego Rossi. And my Vimeo page as well. That's where I mostly put my work. Right. That is just Diego Rossi. The film is Aorca, the Orca, uh, by filmmaker Diego Rossi. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, Dan. Coming to us from South Korea, please welcome Samantha Brennan. Her screenplay double is an official selection at this year's Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival. So tell us a little bit about Double. Double is a story about um, a facility called Geminis. And what they do is they make clones of people and they make um, their organs cancer resistant or some kind of disease resistant. So when if you're somebody who has a lot of money you're able to have an organ transplant and there's no um there's no risk of any kind of disease or uh any kind of rejection with the organ transplant the story revolves around a boy named cooper who's a clone living in this facility and he basically finds out all the secrets and he escapes from the facility Sounds like you were, we're touching on several timely events, you know, social issues. Uh, there's access to, to health care, the haves and have-nots, rich and poor, uh, but also in this time of pandemic and quarantine. If I'm not mistaken, the, uh, the child is told that they, they can't go outside. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so how, how much of that is pulled from, uh, from today's headlines? Definitely a lot of it. When I started writing, it was the beginning of the pandemic. It was... It was spreading in China and it was coming to Korea at that time. And it hadn't it hadn't hit the U.S. yet. And so when I was writing it, I was thinking a lot about my relatives and I've lost several relatives to cancer. And I was thinking about what would happen if they were able to have an organ that was cancer resistance, if there was no relapsing. Um, And then I thought about. COVID and something that was spreading. And then if, if you are able to be resistant to something like that. So there is a personal element in this story. Yes, for sure. What's, uh, what's next? What's, is this, is, is the script moving on to other festivals? Is, is uh, Double kind of growing in that life? Um, Double is the most recent screenplay I've written. I wrote Double and then started on a TV series. Double is kind of the film that I've been entering um, right now into the most contests since it's the most recent. And I also feel like it tackles a lot of issues and it has like more character development than my other scripts. So as I work on my TV series, I enter double in contests. You know, iron, iron's in the fire, so to speak. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, how can people find you out there on the internet, social media? How can they follow you and, and your work? Um, I'm on ISA Connect. Um, I also have a Coverfly account. And then I have um, Instagram as well, where I post all of my contest results. Samantha Brennan, the script is double. And you can go ahead and learn more about it, uh, certainly through the links below and at this year's Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival. Samantha, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Hello, everyone. This is Anthony Arbizo for Thunder Talk. Joining us is T.L. Westgate, co-director and writer for Firefly, inspired short called Heritage. Heritage will be playing at the Miami International Sci-Fi Festival, so please go check it out. Welcome, T.L., and thank you for your time. Oh, man, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much. T.L., could you please tell us a little bit about Heritage? Spoiler-free, of course. Yeah, spoiler-free. Um, uh, my buddy Dale and I, we make a lot of films, and we, we've done a lot of sci-fi stuff. And, and uh, I watched Firefly back when it was first on TV, and I got him into it. And he's just incredible with 3D CGI work. And after all the films we made together, we decided to kind of make a fan film in the Firefly-verse. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Kind of wanted to keep it, you know, on the fringes, on the outskirts so that we don't get shut down or anything. But we definitely wanted to pay homage and, and uh, sort of progress the story. What would have happened in sort of a, the next generation capacity? Mm -hmm. And as a Firefly fan, I really enjoy the aesthetic myself. You can see the costumes and, and the backdrops and it's very Firefly-esque. Our cargo is clean. Just before staying under the radar. Avoid any entanglements. How long are you going to wear the brown coat for? Captain, we have a patrol ship entering our scan zone. Are we going to jackrabbit? Honestly, the thing that really uh, pulled it all together for this was the score by uh, this guy that we use a lot, Andrew Scott Faust. And he's a Firefly fan as well, and he just nailed it. It feels exactly like an episode of the show, musically speaking, which even no matter what film you're making, uh, you can shoot it and edit it, and you've got these good performances, and you just know it's going to be good. But man, when the music puts it all together, it just takes it to another level. And uh, the music in this is very Firefly esque. in um, making another one or uh yeah i mean so far the feedback we've been getting have been good in the firefly community we shot this almost two years ago and dale it took a while to do the 3d cgi stuff obviously but then right when we were like trying to float it out to cons all the cons got canceled because of covid yeah. So we don't really have an accurate assessment yet of, you know, the lifespan this is going to have and whether or not it's going to garner uh, making a, a, another one. But we certainly have more stories in mind for, for proceeding. Definitely leave it open-ended. The Firefly community being as big and as open as it is for having only one season. And the movie came out and it was kind of like our quick end kind of ro rode that wave up and it just disappeared in all of us. Right. Well, that and, and the movie made you realize this is where they were going. I could I could have really enjoyed five seasons of watching them get to this point and wrapping up the river storyline. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it was short circuited. We had to assume that they had many adventures and now there's the movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I 
Toyota. I'm Inspector Burke. You would be the captain. Hold and steady. And thank you for joining us today. And if you can uh, direct everybody to your social media sites, any websites or videos that you have that can explore more of your content. Yeah, I uh, my personal uh, uh, film company with my writing partner, Michelle Bertana, is uh, Creative Inlet Films. And my collaborator for Heritage, Dale Metz, he has his own website, dalemetz.com. It's great to just get the word out. And hopefully, you know, Heritage can get in more festivals and back on the con circuit where people can see it in person soon. We're getting there. We're getting to the point where maybe one day we'll have an in-person con and we can all meet and, you know, enjoy the con life. Yeah. And, and pick apart these films that we're talking about and just have fun <laughs> with you. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Oh, this ought to be good. More positive than a New Day pancake. More fun than a super kick party. It's the wrestling podcast from the host, who is the hammer swinging, burrito eating, well you know the rest, of Thunder Talk, Sexy Thor! It's the ring of thunder found in the Thunderverse and among the great podcasts of the ESO Network. Mark McRae, author of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives book. And Dan Clank, my co-host of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. And we have a panel this year at the Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival titled Sci-Fi Where You Least Expect It. Yeah, it's going to be really fun and exciting panel where we're going to take a lot of your favorite Saturday morning shows and series that you grew up with, and we are going to discuss how some of these cartoons had science fiction angles. Or at the very least, they they snuck some sci-fi elements in sideways. I mean, uh, when you think about Disney's The Gummy Bears, do you think about giant lasers? Or if you think about Jem the Rockstar from the animated series, do you consider the series science fiction with sci-fi story aspects? Well, we sure as hell do. And we're going to tell you all about it at our panel this mm-hmm. year. Right, exactly. Yeah, there might even be a few. You might, you, Some of you all might just be like, okay, hold on. Wait a minute, guys. This is, this is kind of a stretch. But, but hear us out. Right, right. And we're going to be making some connections that you would never have considered before. But considering that Mark is the foremost authority on all things Saturday morning and that I constantly bask in the glory of his greatness, <laughs> uh, you can you can you can rest assured we're uh, we're authorities on this kind of stuff. When Dan and I start talking about things, a lot of dynamite and explosions happen. So be ready to have your head blown. Zing, biff, pow. Yeah. yeah. There's going to be some good stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be sci-fi where you least expect it. It's going to be a fun panel. So please make sure to check it out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, a lot of you have been speaking to me all weekend anyway. I've watched a lot of incredible films, a lot of great clips, spoken with so many amazing people. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, it turns out that, uh, well, Mark is an amazing person, too. So so jump on board. Check us out. That's uh, 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 sci-fi where you least expect it. Yeah, no, I, I know that. Yeah, I was trying to remember the name. Of, I actually forgot the name of our show for a second. Uh, the Best best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. Uh, 
Oh, our show, the best Saturdays of our lives podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, doing yeah, sci-fi where you least expect it. Check us out. Gnu Benton, the maker of the film Looking Glass, a short Native American sci-fi film for the Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival. Pleasure to be speaking with you this morning. Pleasure to be here. It's an honor that we were selected in Miami this year, and uh, it was a really big surprise to us. Native sci-fi was very important to us in making this film and, and trying to think outside the box of what people stereotypically think of Native American movies. And I'm glad that this year we've been informed that we uh, were nominated for the Russell Bates Award, who was a writer on the Star Trek uh, animated series. Uh, one of my podcast partners, Mark McRae, is an entire panel on Star Trek, the animated series. And you know, the Russell Bates Award, that is that is huge. Native American representation, certainly in film, has been lacking, growing. Growing, definitely growing, yeah. It's certainly in sci-fi. Mm-hmm. This film speaks to your Native identity within the context of sci-fi. If you could give us a brief explanation of the film and, and how that ties in personally. Well, the uh, synopsis of the film is that a young Native American man builds a time machine to try to prevent his father's murder, but inevitably discovers his true purpose in creation. You know, it's right. plain and simple. It's a twenty-minute film now, right. loosely based off of the, the the typical science fiction tropes as a model. You know, um, if you can go through H.G. Wells' story of something traumatic happening and wanting to build a time machine to go back and prevent that thing from happening, um, but using the same theories that you would try to use, such as uh, you can't really go back and ch- actually change the past because your intention for building the time machine would erase and kind of create that paradox. Right. You know, it's a story of acceptance. I feel I tried to do a microcosm of um, colonialism and how native people and indigenous people around the world feel about that. Um, and I think we're in a time of kind of healing. And this is what this film represents to me as a, as a director. It's a, it's a healing film. It's about a person who, cannot escape this feeling that they're going through um, and trying to fix it. Um, I tried to do the, the, you know, the five stages of grief and I don't know how well that played out, but in doing so, of course, the end is acceptance because we have to realize, especially in a spiritual manner, that all things are meant to be. Right. The creator had a plan, you know, and knowing um, our teachings as native people about what it is, our purpose is here on, on earth in this realm, as we say, um, what that means to be able to proceed forward in the grander scheme of things and what it is that your life experience can bring to the table of how you walk into the future, if we can think of it in that context. Um, those are one of, many, one of the many things that we try to um, teach in our, in our ceremonial community. Right. Um, so modeling that, um, you take a very simple, well-known traditional ceremony, which is a sweat lodge which in itself, we say, is a time machine. You know, we have our medicine people who can conduct this ceremony and speak to the past, present, and sometimes speak to the future. You know, if you can think of it as remembering the future the way we remember the past, because all things exist, you know, if those people can remember the future and prepare us for those times ahead, you know, uh, we have a prophecy amongst my people, the Ojibwe people, called the Seven Fires Prophecy. There was a prophet that came to us about 900 to 1,000 years ago that uh, warned that 
the light skin race was coming and that's how it's oh, um, taught. Right. And so my people who came from the ocean that time, we migrated, it took us about 26 generations were taught okay. to get all the way to the great lakes, to the land that uh, food grows on water. Sure. We don't really know who that prophet is. We just know we had that warning, you know? Right. So extrapolating this modern sci-fi into that traditional oral teaching, right. you can get a really cool story you know, and um, reflect on what that means for today and the sort of, uh, you know, racial tensions that may or may not exist in your communities. Right. You know what I mean? Right. I've seen the clip and much of that shines through just from the few moments we get. You see, son, all that ever was or will exist is already in the land itself. The memories, our teachings, the spirit itself already exists within the stones. Is this it? This is our technology. It, it really has a beautiful perspective on science and stepping, you know, one step forward, science fiction. And, and it, it, get me, tell me if I'm wrong, but it touches on those concepts of, of ownership and relationship and the land and its values. Um, you know, what we're taught, the, the creator told us that everything you would ever need exists right. in this life. You know, knowing the creator, you know, and, and I apologize if I'm going to in, into the spiritual thing. Please do. But as Native people, that's the center of where we, we try to project from, especially our connection to the land. It's not stereotypical to say that we believe that we are part of the earth. We are um, part of creation itself and we are equal with everything and everything has its place and its balance. The knowledge itself is in the earth. Today's technology, you know, we, we think of our cell phones having minerals in it and you put heat sure, through it sure. and then you can speak through space and time doing so. Right. But if you look at a sweat lodge ceremony, it's exactly the same concept. Right. You take these minerals, you apply heat, you know, and then you put the human experience into it and you can speak through space and time itself. You know, and I know that um, talking about um, colonialism and the devastating things that have happened in our past, trying to think about where we would be 500 years into the future technologically, you know, as a race of people who, who connect technology and spirituality, where we would be in 500 years if we were, if we were allowed to continue to do that. Allowed to exist you know? as you were, as right. many other pockets of the earth were allowed to. Right. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, I've often wondered that myself. I, I really, I really love that this film goes there. I, I grew up near many reservations, had many friends. Uh, I've been to the Sweat Lodge many times nice. in my youth, and I was genuinely moved to see a piece of science fiction coming from a native perspective, mm -hmm. and how it re it's it's really is about time that we hear, we see those these faces, and we hear these voices in our media and i was just really really glad to see your your piece in this festival and and speaking on what you just said um my cinematographer he's uh from liverpool a native from liverpool okay what i know from going to different festivals in different countries the view on native people are very much different than it is in this country growing up you know in the united states people are more fascinated by us rather than looking down on us sometimes right. You know, that still kind of exists, right. um, sadly to say. I, but. Yes, I've seen it. So the most important thing I had him do was do a sweat lodge with me. And that there was his go. first time ever. 
which we, which I think that you would be able to understand this film. He would not be able to understand my intentions in creating this film if he did not participate in this with me. You know what I mean? Sure. There's a certain level of hu human experience that we that we um, speak on that would allow a human being to be able to register certain experiences. Right. You know, so going through the sweat lodge, it, it just completely allowed him to think of imagery, think of the tone and understand where I'm trying to come from when I when I give an idea and how I need to reflect that into the grander scheme of things. He was able to, and I think very clearly um, capture that, you know, the, the love of the father and son, um, the little boy that's in the clip that I gave you, that's the younger version of myself. And I, and I play the main character right. um, at it. his request. Um, I didn't want to play in it, but he was like, you know, it's convenient if you just do it, right? <laughs> you know? And uh, luckily um, that's my uncle who's playing my father. Okay. Um, and that's my little cousin who's playing the younger version of myself. And we look a lot alike. So, you know, it was a good fit. And it was very um, convenient because, you know, being my little cousin, he knows how to listen to me. Oh, you know? there you go. He looks up to you. You're the yeah. ultimate director in his eyes. You sit there and say, look sad. And he looks sad. You look happy. You, look happy. <laughs> right. you know, he's, he takes the direction very, very good. Right. And um, my uncle, who's playing my father. A lot of these conversations were real. You know, he was a ceremonial man. Okay. Um, he's a conductor of Sweat Lodge. And uh, a lot of what's in the film is essentially a lot of what he spoke about and how he brought me up. Right. So in, in working in the film, it came very naturally to be able to have him recite these teachings in a way where it reflected the time travel aspect and the technology aspect. Right. You know, right. So it was. It was very easy to make this film. Okay, now that you found one, we have to pray with tobacco because it's not us who find them. It is they who call to us to give them life. Where can everyone find your presence out on the internet, your social medias and whatnot? How can everyone get in touch with your work? Uh, I am on Facebook. Um, I just started a uh, YouTube channel, you know, all under GNU Benton, G-I-N-E-W-B-E-N-T-O-N. I also have an Instagram with it's kind of private, but uh, sure. Uh, usually, um, Facebook and uh, YouTube. Well, everyone, uh, join me in thanking Ganu Benton, filmmaker of Looking Glass. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. They've traveled from the beginning of time, directly from the Creator, to find us, because they know at this moment we're going to speak to the Spirit. Good job like we've always done since the beginning. All right, friends, we are joined now by Randy Slavin, the creator of the film Project 19, which has the distinction of being shot entirely while in quarantine. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Project 19? So Project 19 dawned on me when my six-year-old daughter said to me that she would love to teleport to go see her friends while we were in quarantine. And it just kind of made me think, you know, as a dad, I wish I could do that for her. So I endeavored on this project with my daughter. We started taking apart a bunch of old VCRs and electronics to build the set that's in the movie. And um, yeah, we, we just uh, decided to make it, you know, I mean, I, I wrote it out and, and, and that was that. So the story itself, if you can give everybody just a, a sample, a taste, a synopsis. It's about a little six-year-old technical genius who winds up coming up with an interesting way to go see grandma. 
you you are also a both a commercial and music video director and the founder of the New York City Drone Film Festival. Uh, you've even done some drone shooting uh, with uh, the most recent Super Bowl. You've been doing the, the, the drone gig for about six years now, yeah? Yeah. You know, as, as a director, I feel like it's always my job to continuously be looking out for interesting camera techniques, camera technology. And six years ago, almost seven now, it's just 2013. Eight years ago. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Eight years ago, uh, that that exploration led me to drones. I saw a skateboard film, which I always find a really interesting repository for camera techniques. And I saw this shot that really kind of blew my mind. It was called uh, the skateboard film is called Pretty Sweet. And it's by a director named Ty Evans. And it starts out with an incredible shot that I just could not explain. I couldn't figure it out. Right. Uh, and after many, many times watching the film and a bunch of research online, I, I found out that it was a flying camera, a.k.a. drone. But that hadn't really even entered the lexicon at that point. Sure. And I started building them. And the, the, the kind of journey took me to the film festival, took me to, uh, you know, all these different shoots that I do now. And it's really interesting kind of subspecialty for a director because it's, it really is a very complex art form uh, using drones. It can be obviously done very simply as well, very sure. just high, high angle shot, but when used correctly, it can be very complex. So it's, you know, it's a really interesting discipline. I found it interesting is talking about the using the drone in, in more artistic ways. Sure. We see them in place of say a, uh, a, a helicopter mounted shot or, or in, in your plate, you know, replacing a crane shot. I, I find it fascinating. You know, you're talking about using the drone to its fullest artistic potential. Yeah. You know, well, being the uh, festival director for the New York city drone film festival, I've had a lot of opportunities to see how drones are used. And because I use them myself in professional uh, capacities, I've had the opportunity to, you know, spend a lot of time with the tool and using it. And, um, you know, the things about drones that's really interesting is, you know, it's ultimately just another part of the toolkit. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's a way to move a camera. So it's easy in that, okay, it has a ton of options. But, you know, when you then look at how that tool is then motivated, those options have to be thought about more because if you're using it deliberately, which you should when you're picking which tools you're shooting with, uh, then you really have to think about it that much more, you know? Uh, so we see tons of establishing shots, these very high and wide shots that we right. see these days that replace helicopter shots. You know, that's kind of become a little bit boring. But if you really think about a drone itself, you know, it can go anywhere in 3D space as long as the operator is good enough to use it. Uh, Randy, where can everyone uh, find you, your work, your presence out there on the internet, social media and whatnot? I can be found at randyscottslavin.com. That's my personal website where you can see my work. Uh, the YouTube as well, if you search Randy Scott Slavin, same with Instagram. Those are basically the kind of online portals, if you will. And, uh, you know, more work coming out soon. Randy Slavin, everyone, bringing the human element to drone use in filmmaking. <laughs> exist in between and only in between well everyone please join me in welcoming heather halsted creator of the short film failure to yield the film's title asks the question what makes us human so the premise of the film is that this is you know distant future um there is a a a border region rather than just a border line that's just a wasteland between warring city-states and so the um the people who guard this border are androids, AIs, 
who are authorized to use deadly force to stop people from crossing. And so where we come in is uh, one of these AIs is so advanced that she is starting to gain sentience. Uh, she ends up finding a woman who is trying to cross who manages to do something to make her hesitate in, in killing her. Um, and then they subsequently end up trying to escape. Maybe a bit of allegory regarding our current border situation. Just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Got it. Uh well, leading through to that, no wonder there's a desolate, almost post-apocalyptic tone to the film, very brooding tone that the setting uh, mm -hmm. plays into the story. I'm sure that was an element that also fit perfectly with the, the, the sense of hopelessness that many people attempting to find better lives, perhaps across other borders, uh, would feel kind of manifested in the setting itself. Yeah, absolutely. That was a big part of the of the draw, the location that we shot in. Um, it's this gorgeous desert, um, but it is also very, like you said, it's very barren. Right. Um, you know, try and, and push those feelings that you described, certainly. Do you have a personal connection with this story, a, a personal story, if you will, that helped inspire all of this? So um, I don't have a personal story in terms of like a border crossing or anything like that. Um, the, the place where I connect with this story is that it is ultimately about the relationship between two women. And that's a big part of what I like to write and what I like to direct. Um, though I, I have a, a screenwriter on this film, I didn't write it, but I did collaborate with her in creating this story. And we really wanted to write about a relationship that was developing, not one that was already there. Because the other allegorical thing here is with women and their relationships. You know, the person that they're running from is a man who is controlling the AI, the one who created her. Um, so that's another kind of layer to what we were doing. And so that's kind of where my personal connection comes in there. Um, as a woman trying to navigate, you know, uh, society telling you what to do, things of that nature, and just trying to shove off that and kind of be your own person. You got what you wanted. The machine is mine. I have an idea. I have a serial number. Connection, freedom, escape really seem to be the tones of this, if I'm reading it correctly. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, escaping all of the things that we're told we're supposed to do and, you know, kind of making our own way and, and figuring out who we are and what we're doing kind of in our own our own merits what we want rather than what people tell us we should want how can we how can we see your work beyond this on facebook i my production company is roughshod films um on instagram it's the same thing at roughshod films um on my website is roughshodfilms.com trying to keep everything consistent the website has a lot of uh, details on um, the films, trailers, some of the films that I've done that are at a point where they can just stream online, um, as well as screenings and whatnot for the films that are that are still doing festival circuits. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, everyone, again, Heather Halstead, the film is Failure to Yield at the Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival. This is a 30-second ad spot for the Black Market Toast podcast, where we take a piece of media out of the cupboard, dust it off, toast it up, and serve it as something completely new. What? Well, it means we either listen to or watch a movie or TV show or piece of music, and then... It's not like we just use whatever media we pick as a conversation starter. <laughs> well, because it's fun, okay? Listen to it on your podcatcher of choice, and follow us on Facebook or something. 
Yeah, yeah. So everyone, Anthony here, he's, he's been the man behind the machine, really. It took him two minutes, but it took me two years to learn in terms of audio engineering. That's what I like to, you know, if I'm trying to pick, <laughs> if I'm trying to pick someone up in my own mind, that's what I say. The editing and shit like that. Anthony, first time in front of the mic on Thunder Talk. Say, say hi to your, your fans. Hi, everybody. It's nice to be uh, actually heard and to not be a listener at one point, you know, to see the stuff in action. Well, welcome to how the sausage is made. And sometimes <laughs> it's not super pretty, but it tastes delicious. <laughs> the, the fingers blend in sometimes. That's right. Yeah. Oh. That's right. <laughs> Anthony's my thunder therapist. He knows shit about the two of you that I won't even admit to myself. If you were there in the beginning, uh, the show's really evolved. We are far from perfect, but we are getting better every time, every episode, I think. So I, I look forward to whenever we are a thousand episodes in, how good, <laughs> how polished we will be. You know, you could do it in your sleep and yeah. Dan could be up all night. Oh, yeah. No, you guys can just sit in front of the microphone, get your yeah, yeah's <laughs> and your and your, and your ha-ha's in there as Dan slowly kills himself. All day and night. Well, I mean, we've talked about this. I've got nothing else. Yeah, Beth doesn't give any fucks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's like, this is your job. Get over it. Yeah, I much. mean, this is how the clone episode started, I believe. And then all of a sudden, it's Dan's fucking dance. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm trying to keep this classy, everyone. We're, we're really reaching out on this episode. Thanks, thanks, for, uh, thanks for bringing the class, you guys. Thanks. Drawing in the upper class. Yeah, so let's go to some interviews. <laughs> Hello, everyone. This is Anthony Arbizo with Thunder Talk, and joining us today is Damian Donnelly, producer and director for Outer World Pictures. He has two short films playing this week at the Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival, Space Rocks and Homo Sapiens in Space. Welcome, Damian. Hi, Anthony. Thanks for having me on your show. So if you could tell us a little bit about your two films, please. NASA have a competition called Cine Space, um, which basically you take existing footage and, and you have to take it from the archive and put it into your movies. In Homo Sapiens, I decided to kind of make it micro-mockumentary. One of my legends is Sir David Attenborough. But Sir David Attenborough wasn't available for Homo Sapiens. So yeah. what you're actually hearing in the movie is a sound-alike. So parody is the highest form of flattery. And so in Homo Sapiens, what I did was, let's observe Homo sapiens in their natural habitat in space, the International Space Station. So they're doing the daily stuff. They have to sleep, they have to eat, they have to wash their hair. So the whole premise in that three minutes is to give you a bird's eye view on what happens on a daily basis. We brush our teeth on Earth. We get up and we go, oh my God, it's another day. It's another Monday off to work again, kind of thing. So the whole sense of, you know, we're here, they're there, and they have, you know, 18 sunsets and 18 sunrises yeah. one day. So mad stuff happens. Um, and, you know, what do you do with crumbs? You're not allowed to have crumbs from your food in space. So I won't say any more because it's it's actually been really successful. It's gone to a number of festivals, including the Miami Sci-Fi. I'm delighted to be, you know, selected for it. Um, it actually showed at NASA television last year, um, May 20th. Or sorry, May 1st, 2020. Um, and you've got really good reaction. It's actually in some museums seemingly as well, because NASA, when you do the project for CineSpace, I became finalist with my team, mm -hmm. and what happens mm -hmm. is they then send it around. So they have it actually, 
in some science museums across the states. So you may may have seen it, but it is on Amazon Prime if people want to reach out. It will be in the festival as well. So if you don't have time to see it in this festival, but do get your passes because Troy did say to me, make sure we say to the people the tickets are available for <laughs> yep. Miami yep. Sci-Fi. Today we'll be looking at the newest habitat in space, the International Space Station. Here we will see how Homo sapiens deal with the greatest challenges facing all of mankind. Follow me, Frederick Attenberger, as we journey to space to see exactly how Homo sapiens survive out there. Space Rocks um, started looking into music and space and NASA. And what does space really sound like? So it's like the, the, the premise, you know, when a tree falls in a forest and nobody's there, do, does it actually make any noise kind of stuff? <laughs> the Voyager mission is a golden disc, which has the first pop song, Johnny Be Good. That's the first pop song that was ever sent to space. Okay. Um, so, you know, then what, what would happen if you did take off your helmet in space? Now, you wouldn't be able to breathe, but what would you hear? So... <laughs> integrated you know in again in the soundtrack we integrated elements of the real sounds of space but one of the fascinating things i didn't realize is that humans like to be called we like to get a wake-up call from a person a human voice not that me 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 coming from your iphone or whatever so nasa had a program for years particularly over the shuttle program that they would get a morning call so a person would go hi it's anthony hi it's damien from mission control Time to get up, um, but they'd actually then play a track. So over the years, they've featured everybody from OREM to Beyonce to Sir Paul McCartney um, to Robin Williams. God be good to him. He's no longer with us. Mm -hmm. um, and what, when I was kind of going through, again, the archive came across all these wonderful snippets of these celebrities' voices. So okay. space mm -hmm. does definitely rock because you can actually see and hear um, – Beyonce, R.E.M., you know, um, U2, and I'm from Ireland, so Bono and the, the boys are actually in mission control, and uh, Bono has a line, and he goes, let's make the impossible possible, and that's what these movies are about. It's about, you know, sometimes we, we're in COVID land, you know, will this ever end? Yes, yeah, the, yeah. the world will continue, um, but it's all voiced by a man I couldn't get to either, but I would call him God, Morgan Freeman. So it's Morgan Space yeah. Dude. And so it's again told in that kind of, you know, but it's a soundtrack to our lives. And, and one of the kind of taglines on it is that we've Spotify lists now. Now we've got to Mars. This is a really cool thing. So the timing of this is really cool. We have exactly. got something yeah. on Mars. So the big message on Space Rocks is music's a great companion, but we're going to need a longer playlist because we're going from here to Mars and beyond. And and that's what I liked about Space Rocks is that you you took something that's that's intimately human and, and you're showing it that in space where people feel the most separated from humanity, it's important. I mean, it's important to be able to play music, listen to music, and that's the connection you have with your humanity in space. No matter if you're a thousand miles away or a million miles away or light years away, it's gonna be something that's gonna be important for us to have out there. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, if you take it, if you ask somebody, what's your favorite song or your pop video, they'll probably tell or music video, rock video, it doesn't, you know, whatever genre. And they'll go, I remember the time I was saw Nirvana. It's Kurt Cobain's birthday. 
oh, but I never saw Kurt Cobain. Oh, who did I see? I saw Depeche Mode, or I saw, mm -hmm. you know, I remember being there and there's a connection to the song and then lyrics of song. A colleague in Nashville actually mixed the sound on it because the funny thing is it's music, but copyright for music is really difficult in filmmaking because yes. you know, I don't know, I don't know U2, I don't know Island Records. Mm -hmm. So you're seeing footage, but it's not actually their track. And OEM, you're hearing, but it's actually a sound-alike band from Germany. And it's that kind of stuff. Um, you kind of go, okay, so how do I make a music video or you know, music program? And not really have the artist got, but now the sound, the actual voices you hear in the mix are genuinely, that's NASA archives. So there is an element of, you know, fair usage to it. And, you know, once you respect kind of in the credits, you'll see, we kind of reference all the, the, the clips we used. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's good fun. Um, and hopefully people will, you know, connect, enjoy um, and pass them on and, you know, talk about them and talk about space and talk about Yep. You know, move forward, and you know, that's, 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 that's where we are. People think that space is empty and silent. But the truth is that space rocks. From the beginning of time, humans have listened to music as a soundtrack to their lives. From dealing with the emotional trials and tribulations of life, Music has always been a constant companion. Your two films we're playing this week at the Miami International Sci-Fi Festival. We appreciate you joining us today, and, I, and good luck to your properties I, I, and on all your future endeavors. And Anthony, thank you to yourself and to you know, the team there in Thunder Talk because it is appreciated, and and it's been a pleasure. Marcus Hanish, the creator of the film Q, Ghostly Remote Effect, an official selection at this year's Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival. Marcus, how you doing? I'm doing good. We just talked about having kids and doing home office, so... Yes, we were. I'm trying to have, have my head up yeah, and cheer. You know, Marcus and I are going to start a new podcast called uh, Working at Home with Kids. Exactly. Where are you speaking to us from? I'm speaking from Germany, Berlin. Q, Ghostly Remote Effect. If you can give our audience uh, an idea of, of what the film is about. The logline is a scientist who built an android, takes off on a field trip with the robot, and suddenly discovers a strange connection between herself and the robot. What you maybe not can describe with words is um, that the film starts off as a yeah maybe stereotype uh, sci-fi um, raises questions of what's the mission, where are they going, um, um, also dramaturgical questions. Status. Bereit. Aufgabe. That are then transformed into something else, maybe something more uh, Terence Malick-like that's uh, experienceable and not, not grabbable with words anymore. Because um, while being in nature, um, the question where they are going is not important anymore at the end, and if they made it to the goal. So it's more important what she discovered between uh, herself and the robot. What emotions did she discover? What yeah, maybe kind of a spirituality uh, she found for herself. Status. 
Okay, beautifully shot, by the way. Where, what locations were used? We shot in Iceland, in South Iceland. Um, I had a great camera guy who has been there already, and uh, I was uh, there hiking and um, camping after a personal split up. And uh, then I found myself there location scouting. Because in the beginning, we, we wanted to shoot uh, this film in, in the Eastern German woods. Um, which we were not allowed when the fire security level arose. So we, yeah, it was a happy coincidence that my uh, former girlfriend split up and the fire security level rose. So we made our way to Iceland and shot within this beautiful landscape, which is, uh, yeah, I don't know if you have ever been to, to Iceland, but it's, you move one kilometer and you have a whole different landscape. So it's very easy to find 30 different locations within one very tiny spot so we focus on the uh, very southern part of uh, Iceland around Vik and the uh, uh, laboratory we shot in Wolfsburg in Germany this is a science uh, a museum um, close where the German cars are built in Wolfsburg right and um, yeah they may this building is made of concrete and glass and i think the international was shot there at least one shot so yeah yeah you know i i've never i've never been to iceland but i'm a huge bjork fan so I, i'm familiar with looking at iceland <laughs> and beautiful beautiful finished to das arrogant was arrogant von mir dich we, we count on our scientists to approach their work, and I think we assume they approach their lives very clinically. And this robot would certainly be a product of that discipline, and yet to have this robot invoke an awakening in her, it really kind of went against the grain of what we would think of a scientist to be and what their work, the work, can in turn awaken in them on a spiritual level. Something we think antithetical to science. Uh, thanks uh, for for coming up with that because at the end I think uh, it, it's uh, really the challenge to to uh, find a way of connecting um, the, the science aspect and the spiritual aspect, right? Right. Uh, and there's and there is a way to to um, to intertwine both. Right. It's you don't have to choose either science or believing in something. You can find a way I'm having both. If uh, you will be attending the festival this year, you're going to need to see Q, Ghostly Remote Effect, how can we continue this journey with you? What what are your social media handles and whatnot? I'm on I'm on Facebook, uh, Markus Hanisch, Markus with C. I'm on Instagram, Hanisch underscore Markus. My website is markushanisch.com. It's currently under reconstruction because I'm changing a lot, but uh, the mail is info at markushanisch.com. Write me a mail, write me feedback, uh, ask me anything. Please feel free to get in contact. Hey, Thunder Faithful, it's Beth and Kavika, and we are here with a special guest for an interview. We have Hal Schneider with us. His script, Broodmother, was submitted to the Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival. 
how tell us a little bit about Broodmother. Uh, Broodmother is about two young ladies, uh, Storm and Caitlin, who drive 400 miles to uh, have a procedure performed at uh, an abortion clinic. When they get there, it turns out they've been misled. It's actually a, a, a pregnancy center, and they don't perform abortions, just uh, sonograms. And so uh, chaos ensues when we find out that Storm is actually carrying an alien. And what ensues then is, I, want, I don't want to say it's uninventive, but it's a pretty standard uh, alien birth sequence from a sci-fi point of view. We've seen a few of those. And if you like those, I hopefully this is a good one. <laughs> yeah, we we did. We uh, read your script. Uh, I mean, it was eventful. I... <laughs> <laughs> so, but like you just said, it, it really revolves around um, some women's health issues. Uh, what what inspired you to write this particular script? I, I was trying to write actually anything but this script. Um, <laughs> I had two other projects. I was like, no, I'm going to do these. But these two characters kept talking to me. I just surrendered to it and wrote it. And then uh, it, I took it to the, uh, I attend the New Mexico Women in Film. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Women in Film. They're like a national organization that promotes women in film, as the name suggests. Uh, they have a screenwriting group here in Albuquerque. And uh, I took it there and, and uh, we developed it a bit. It's gone under fire too. And some people didn't like it as much. And then others were really supportive of it. So it's received both kinds of criticism. We enjoyed re reading this screenplay. We look forward to seeing other works that you have in works coming out. Uh, if we ever have an opportunity, we'll, we'll check it out again. And uh, thank, thank, you. thank you very much for giving up some time today to come on Thunder Talk and talk about your screenplay, Broodmother. And likewise, thank you very much. What's good, everyone? I'm Tyler Butler, joined by my brother, Josh Smith. You're now rocking with the best, which is enough, with the BS Podcast. Here we recap the best sports stories of the week while taking the BS out of it. Hope you're ready to learn and laugh. Now let's get it. JT Wheatley here again for the History Comics Podcast. Here with a few recommendations, since it won't be on this episode as much as usual. First off, I had the chance of watching the premiere episode of Superman and Lois in the CW, which aired uh, February 23rd. And I have to say, I very much enjoyed it. It's another, it looks like be another fun Arrowverse show. Uh, Tyre Hochin is Superman, Clark Kent, and Elizabeth Tulick is a Lois Lane. They're fantastic in their roles. And many of us who uh, saw them first appear back on the uh, Crisis on uh, Infinite Earths uh, crossover uh, a few uh, two years ago uh, in the Arrowverse definitely liked them and said, oh, we have to get these on TV shows. And now we got it, and so it's a very interesting uh, twist to take as they're both they're now uh, married with uh, two uh, teenage sons, and they're having to uh, deal with some real world problems of how uh, dealing well raising teenage boys, and um, a certain tragedy brings it back to uh, Clark's hometown of Smallville, and everything goes from there. But overall, a, lot, a little more family drama, but very good uh, acting all around. Like I said, Tyler makes an ideal, perfect Superman. Some nice nods also to the original uh, Superman mythology, so especially a nice, great. Uh, nod to Action Comics number one. So yes, highly recommended. Uh, if you like the CW Arrowverse shows, they've always been more fun. And I'll be honest with you, I like them. I tend to enjoy it more than the the more big-budgeted movies because they tend to show more uh, reverence to the original source material, which, hey, who needs money when you have this good actors, good writing, and nice reverence to the source material? 
But also, uh, in the line with TV, I am absolutely loving WandaVision on Disney+, Plus, the fantastic uh, MCU's first uh, Disney Plus show, which of course stars, stars uh, Elizabeth Olsen as Scarlet Witch and Paul Bettany back as Vision. And uh, that's about as much as I want to get into it. Let's just say this is one of the most innovative TV shows I've ever seen, especially for Marvel. And uh, it's perfect to binge right now when you listen to this, because at this point, it gets to the episode where it starts to explain what's going on. So highly recommend you have Disney Plus and a great reason to get Disney Plus. Well, if you haven't got it already, because hey, if nothing else, the show has all the Ducktales and Tailspin, Darkwing Ducks. What else do you need? But outside of that, yes, uh, do if you want some good uh, binging viewing or just TV viewing in general, check out Super and Lois on CW. Which also I watch in the CW app because I'm not I've ditched terrestrial TV and radio years ago. I'm all podcast and streaming at this point, and I love it. But you can get the CW app on most um, streaming uh, platforms, and you can watch it for free the very next day with some ads. But hey, for free, what are you going to do? And of course, if you have Disney+, Plus, do check out WandaVision, which, depending on how it is, might be my favorite thing Marvel Studios has ever done. And that's the Mr. JT Williams from the History Comics Podcast. Uh, go out and enjoy yourself a good comic book, like I always say. And if you can, check out Superman and Lois and WandaVision. done something terrible tonight we have with us from the uk jim eaves writer and director of the film you might get lost mr eaves other credits include six feature films including the award-winning bane jim how you doing tonight yeah good thanks dan how are you doing well doing well thank you very much for asking a bit uh a little bit tired actually we <laughs> talked we spoke about that in the pre in the pre-roll but uh, otherwise, you know, soldiering on. Your film, You Might Get Lost, has been described as a dark modern tragedy. Uh, if you could give our listeners some idea of the plot, what, 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 what can they expect with this? Sure, okay. So um, it's about a lady called Arlene whose um, world's fallen apart. She's uh, drinking too much. She's having an affair. She's neglecting her family. Um, and as a result of this, she causes, uh, accidentally causes the death of her son. Um, she gets the opportunity to travel back in time and change that, which she does. But in her new timeline, she has trouble separating the memories of her old timeline from the reality of her new one. So it's very much um, about kind of a time travel PTSD. So these events from her past keep infecting this new version of her future. Lost track of time, sorry. Just wish you'd put us first. Just once. I've been having an affair with someone at work. Neglected my family and I've made some very, very bad choices. A personal take, if you will, a personal uh, look into the time travel trope, but taking it into a far darker personal place than, than I think most cinema has dared to do. We, we, we tried to. I mean, I, I did wonder when I was thinking, because it didn't start off as a time travel movie. It was more about sort of the grief of losing a child and how, uh, you know, the, how memories would really play into that and indulging yourself in those memories. But yeah, it's really, it did occur to me, how would you, if you did travel through time, how would you have, how would you be able to sort of separate those really stressful moments um, in the new, but how would you get your head around it without going completely mad? Sure, as you are emotionally and temporally redefining yourself, yeah. How would the mind process? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, well. I've seen the trailer. It's certainly a, a very um, 
haunting. I don't know necessarily if, uh, if horror is the right word, but I can certainly see that suspense is a big part of this. Yeah, absolutely. So I I keep describing it as a horror because that's where I've come from in my old films, but I wouldn't class this as a horror, actually. It's more of a science fiction thriller is the way yeah, I describe it. Right. Yeah. You Might Get Lost takes the audience at times on a frightening journey into the existential crisis of loss, losing touch with reality and the dangers of an unbalanced personal and work life. Uh, Jim, what what personal, what personal connection do you have to the story or what otherwise inspired such a, uh, an academically twisted idea? I've been thinking about this a lot recently because I've been talking about the film a lot. And I think maybe there's a connection between f- the process of filmmaking itself and this film. Because I think when you do any sort of creative endeavor, you spend a lot of time away from family. I've got two young children. Um, and in those moments, those little moments, you sort of you cheat on them with this project that you're sort of passionate about. But you're, you're also missing out on all these other moments with them. Right. Um, you can't get that time back, no matter how hard you try. Like yourself, you're up working all through the night now doing this. You're not going to get this time I have, back. <laughs> I have two kids. I've already forgotten one of their names. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so there is a there is a price to pay for that, and you can't you can't get out of it. You got to pay it somehow. So I think there's an element of that in there. Okay, I can definitely see that. It is starring Corinne Wicks. Yep. How cool is it working with her? Oh, amazing. She's fantastic. So she's done, um, she was in two big primetime shows in the UK. Um, so she's got that t- television experience. This is something completely new for her, but right. I hope when people see it, they'll appreciate um, how much she's put into this. You know, she is in almost every single scene of the movie. Right. Um, and she really goes to hell and back in this character. She's amazing. Because this is a departure from the character Doctor Helen on on Doctor. Oh yes, yeah. yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. This is this is something incredibly raw and personal, right. and really, we really sort of pushed her to the edge on screen. No, oh, her her performance is absolutely mesmerizing. It's it's powerful. It really doesn't begin to to do it justice. Do do you know what it was that brought her to the project? How did how did you get Miss Wicks? Um, I think she's been looking. Uh, for a while to do something like this something that would show a different side um to her and i think um this was this kind of came at the right moment she was doing a lot of theater productions um and i think she wanted to sort of try out a feature and it sort of all came at the right moment i've been having some issues and i'm having trouble staying present it's called drifting try to remain as calm as you can Stressful moments are the ones that come back to haunt us. Get out! Now, also starring in the film, as most of our listeners uh, will, will recognize this name, Colin Baker, the, the sixth doctor. Yeah. Doctor Who. Yeah. So cool. Do tell, <laughs> any, any info you got on that? We'd love to hear it. Um, so, yeah. So I was supposed to make a, a horror film, out and out horror with Colin, and he's always wanted to do a horror film. That film... F- fell apart all related to brexit blah 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 boring oh, sure. all those a bit. and we right. were gutted and i said oh i've got this other movie do you fancy doing it and he said yes sounds good he was with us for two days um but he's in the movie a lot and you know obviously it's got a time travel connection in it which is perfect fits great with him uh, right. but he is so good in the film he's such a nice guy as well to work with because you never know with somebody who's, who's kind of had one of those career defining parts 
on sure. you know what they're going to be like and i'll never forget he turned up on the first day of the shoot we had uh we were just filming in a in a bar and we had a coffee machine set up and he said oh is there a starbucks nearby and um, <laughs> i said oh we've got we've got a coffee machine he said oh no have you got a starbucks i thought oh here we go he's gonna it's, I'll right. have a starbucks and, and i said well there is one down the road do you want me to send someone out and he went yeah here's here's 40 quid get everybody a starbucks Oh, <laughs> so I was like, "Oh, thank God! This is the sort of person we're working with who's who's that thoughtful." Um, you know, who just shows up and so on. Everyone stood there with a the Starbucks, and we're used to drinking the the crappy coffee out of the machine. So yeah, he's uh, a legend. Colin's a legend. Colin Baker, an, an absolute treasure. Yeah, the rest of the two days must have just been gold. Yeah, really, really good fun, and really, um, you know what it's like where you get somebody who's got those acting chops they kind of elevate your script and your material right and then when i've got i've got you know there's most of the scenes i think all of the scenes colin's in he's playing opposite corin so right. I'm, i feel like i'm watching a tv show with these great actors on while i'm while right. reading my words you know it's reading like, your words yeah. yeah kind of a bit, bit of a an existential uh moment yourself yeah exactly that look on your face I've seen it before in the mirror. It must be in the blood. So what's what's in store for You Might Get Lost? What's what's the what's the future of this film in terms of distribution? Yep. So we've um we recently signed with uh MPX, they're like a world sales company. We we okay. you know finished the film during lockdown over here in the UK um last year and spent a lot of time trying to find the right sales agent for the movie who right. sort of give it the right treatment they're a really good company um they'll be pushing the film out in march to distributors so we're hoping for some bites on it then we've got a bunch of uh festivals we've entered so we're just hoping that people respond well to it i know at the miami sci-fi fest corin's nominated for an acting award which would be great that's nice to see her recognized um for her fingers performance. crossed yeah fingers crossed um so yeah we just need to sort of spread the word and get people to see it well, hey, you know, how about we we do a little bit of that right now on the internet, social media. Where where can we go to to see this film, to get an idea of this film? How how can we help you make some money, friend? Where where, where should we <laughs> well, send everyone? Where should we send everybody? Okay, so I think the easiest place to send people to, oh, first and foremost, is uh, to the Miami Sci-Fi Film Festival. So you could go and see it there. You could be one of the first people to see it. That's the premiere in the U.S. So you can see it there, first point. Second point is if you go to amberpictures.co.uk, that will take you through to our YouTube channel and that will have all the announcements on releases in different countries and when it will be available. Jim, it has been a pleasure, an honor to speak with you. Thank and you. Yeah, I, I hope we're able to uh, speak again one day in one capacity or another. That would be fantastic. I look forward to it. Uh, no, you've it's got me. to go. thought I was done. thought I'd conducted my last interview. My race was run. The book was read. Then Democrosaurus Rex came into my life, and it's all Mark Lombard's fault. Thanks for having me. Uh, so Democrosaurus Rex. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a mix of uh, maybe Dr. Strangelove and uh, Godzilla. It, it spans 40 years. It's an alternate reality where instead of the nuclear bomb, you know, we drop on Japan. It's a giant mutant monster we invade japan with and then that continues on for a number of different wars and 
until uh, yeah, basically uh, it destroys the U.S. So instead of over these decades, the history of us conducting more or less conventional warfare, we're conducting it with a giant monster. Yeah, and, and, and then it, that escalates worldwide and other countries create their own monsters and none of them can compete with democrasaurus of course but just the windfall of just like the destruction these monsters are causing in the war room they're completely unaware of like the ramifications of what they've done until it's too late you know on one hand it sounds both funny and terrifying on the other you know considering the 20th century's history of conflict nuclear weapons and whatnot I, I might, I don't know if I'd, I'm, I might not mind popping into that dimension where instead everything is just fought with giant monsters. Yeah, it's simpler, but the, uh, it, these are also nuclear monsters. So oh, well, yeah. Okay. So nobody really wins. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a, a lot of cancer going around and, uh, <laughs> which I guess is happening now too. So, yeah, well certainly, yeah. The impression that I got from Democrasaurus Rex is, uh, yeah, I've got Zilla and Dr. Strangelove had a baby. Then maybe that baby asexually procreated, and then those two babies made Democrasaurus Rex. Yeah, that's what I that's what I tried to do. I mean, this is a cuckoo bonkers little movie we got going on. You you, you deep fake JFK, you deep fake Reagan, uh, but not only that, you credit their performances. Well, that's that's them. It yeah, is them. Right. Yeah. The music was banging. Uh, who was that? Uh, that was my buddies in uh, Vidco Cult. They uh, were pretty much uh, my ADs on the project too. Like all the other monsters, they that's who's in the suits. So then while I was trying to figure out After Effects, they wrote a bunch of songs for the movie. You know? And I was like, at first I was like, I didn't think I was gonna use any of their songs. I was like, hey, I'll just, you know, don't worry about it. Then, but then they started giving me songs. I was like, this is fucking awesome. Right now, I'm just at Miami Science Fiction Festival. It's coming out in, I guess, two weeks now. Yeah, a couple they, weeks they, from now. Yeah. They postponed it till Tuesday the 9th. So please check it out. Oh, <laughs> God. Anyway. Yeah, it's a real crime that science didn't tell God to tell science to give me a, a voice. Yeah, they didn't even use the uh, the OG Star Trek theme in the animated series, did they? It well, was a whole... Ray Ellis, who was the composer of the animated series, decided that he wanted his own spin on the Star Trek open. And I believe that was the reason why uh, uh, Ray Ellis composed the new open. Or... There could have been some rights issues with the uh, Alexander Courage version of the original Star Trek series. But uh, nonetheless, uh, Ray Ellis really does a great job scoring Star Trek the Animated Series. Mark McRae, everybody. <laughs> Give it up. Author, of course, of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives book, co-host of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. And Mark has a panel Another panel, I should say, at this year's Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival, and it's all about Star Trek, the animated series. Mark. The panel will explore how Star Trek, the animated series, influenced the subsequent Star Trek series 
after writers decided to use the animated series as a springboard for additional world building that would influence Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Next Generation, Star Trek Voyager, and beyond. Well, the current Trek coming out, uh, the, the, the new CBS stuff, they're, they're drawing all the way back to the animated series. And you know what's funny? There's always been this, this debate among the, the, the diehards as and well actually and 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 the you know the 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 corporate holders of the ip is the animated series canon or not as far as i'm concerned it's canon it's a continuation of the original series prior to the original star trek series being canceled the writers the writing team was already crafting scripts to for season four and a lot of those stories ended up in the animated series right and thanks to a writer's strike they were able to bring many of those writers who wrote for the original series onto the animated series. One of the things that convinced me that Star Trek the Animated Series was canon was when CBS Paramount released all of the Star Trek series on DVD together for a special right. DVD price, which included the animated series. And, oh, that's, wow. and that told me that Star Trek the Animated Series is canon because it got released with all the other Star Trek series in existence. So then, yeah, so it doesn't matter. Uh, Gene Roddenberry's opinions don't matter. Uh, Paramount, CBS. They're, right. They're, whatever they type. No, the distributor made that call. Right, exactly. Now, there's been some back and forth about that as well. Even the CBS uh, All Access Star Trek series. Um, what's it called? <laughs> oh boy! Um, let's see, well, there's Lower Decks. They have a they have a they have a cat alien doctor. <laughs> no, not that one. No, okay. not the uh, Lower Deck series. I wasn't talking about that one. I was thinking of the other Star Trek series, the first one, Discovery. Discovery, which also <laughs> connects the animated series. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to give anything away. No, let's, let's, I don't want to give everything yeah, away. Yeah, let's, let's let's go ahead and let's, uh, let's 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 close up shop on this little sneak preview here. So. Yeah, I repeat, I don't want to give everything away. And you can check that out at the Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival. It's going to be 100% Mark, zero Dan. I mean, I think that's probably one of the biggest appeals right there. <laughs> All right, right. Dan will be there for support with questions, maybe, if I can convince oh, him. Oh, yeah. Hey, dude. Yes, please, sir. Anything you want. Absolutely. Hello everyone, this is Anthony Arbizo for Thunder Talk. Joining us today is Edward Douglas, director of the short film Swipe, which will be playing this week at Miami International Sci-Fi Festival. Welcome, Edward. Thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. If you may, without spoilers, could you please tell us about your film Swiped? So Swiped, it's a short sci-fi comedy. It's about the perils of near-future technology uh, when like augmented and virtual reality start encroaching more and more on uh, our everyday life. Mm -hmm. So it's about Melody. She decides to swipe a few hot guys on her augmented reality dating app, and she meets a match who may be more or less than meets the eye on it. And really, saying anything more would be a spoiler. <laughs> it's a little four-minute piece. It's a delightful little piece of sci-fi candy, and we really hope um, audiences enjoy it at, uh, at Miami. It's very interesting to see the symbiosis that's growing between dating and um, technology. Where do you think that goes from here? Uh, dating and technology. So... Um, Oh, man, I don't even know where to start with that. <laughs> um, everything in modern life 
is becoming more and more tuned to be on demand and the technology is making it run faster and faster and faster mm -hmm. and dating on demand i think can be just as dangerous as any other on demand and things because then we start to devalue these uh, these parts of our lives if yep. we can have something anytime anytime day or night it will lose its its intrinsic value and really change us and so much technology how we use it defines how it gets built because how we use it becomes how the companies um, profit off of it mm -hmm. and whatever we do whatever they make a touch of money on they'll do more and more and more and if dating and if our personal lives become more and more intertwined in those loops yeah the more that will be just become part of a system that will then change us so my real question is when things like dating become part of that technology how does how does that change us as humans it's it's interesting to watch the the growth and and the money aspect of it and seeing that yeah when there's money to be had people will manipulate a source and is it good or innately good or innately bad and I tend to be a pessimistic about the future when it comes to the involvement of capitalism in terms of making money off us in our dating lives so I, I'm with you on that 100. percent It's the question of is technology innately good or bad is an important one to look at but I think what's really important behind it is who is making the technology who's making the mm -hmm. choices who's making who's defining the ethics of how this technology is being used and do the people doing it understand their tech when mm -hmm. we talk about ai when we talk about deep learning do these people really know what their technology is doing and i mean all of this is well beyond the scope of a, <laughs> of a form of little sci-fi yeah. comedy short but i mean a lot of my my professional history comes from working in video games where we had social mm -hmm. social games where facebook was driving how people interacted with uh with with games um in some really insidious ways and that yeah and all that's like really informing the kind of stuff i've been i've been doing in film lately it is a link between the, the, that gambling like that nerve in her head that it gets like for free to play games and people just dumping thousands of dollars on candy crush or how it gives them that little touch of dopamine is it's scary yeah the ethics behind it is definitely questionable at times for sure what if any personal experiences have helped inspire any aspects of swipe for you i don't know if i should tell you the secret it's, <laughs> it's not really a spoiler but it can affect the movie the dating aspect was a late comer to the script it wasn't initially about dating oh, okay it was initially about what happens when more insidious aspects of of internet culture appear in real life once everyone has like their iPhone is actually a contact lens in their eye and everything's projected in yeah. augmented reality, which you can see in the trailer. Mm -hmm. um, dating ended up being a solution to a problem. Once we shot the movie, we thought, wait a minute, I'm not as into this main character as I should be. And as a filmmaker, okay. I know interesting characters are characters who are interested in things. So I'm like, mm -hmm. I've got to give her something to be, to be more into. What does she really want? And the, the dating story around it evolved out of that in post-production. Edward, please tell everyone where we can find, follow, or watch you in any projects you're involved in. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Edward J. Douglas. I post about um, projects there as well as various um, uh, quarantine pandemic hobbies. Like, I've been getting into a lot of baking lately. It's been great fun. Yeah, that's been going around. I've noticed that. <laughs> yeah, but posting, posting about... Um, projects, um, film projects, um, some interactive projects. 
I thank you so much for joining us today. And I and um, please, everyone, if they could go watch Swipe at the Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival. And I once again, I appreciate you ha- having you on. And thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So what goes on in putting on an event like this? How do you, how do you find the people, the films, the scripts, and so forth uh, in order to pack an entire festival? Um, I got real lucky. And I don't want to call it luck because, yes, it's luck. But it's also overcoming some serious hurdles. Mm-hmm. You have to have initiative. You have to have passion. You've got to want to do it. This festival is the result of the success from the documentary about me, Journey to Planet X. Okay. And Journey to Planet X is a doc that was on Netflix. Okay. It's a story about myself and some of my colleagues at the time uh, make a science fiction film. Right. And all of that really comes down to being persistent. Back in 2000, 2001, I was starting out making films with a a former colleague of mine. We decided, you know, I decided, hey, let's let's put it in a film festival. Maybe there are film festivals that would like it. Right. We sent it in and it was rejected. Back then they would send you a letter in the mail. Right. You know, <laughs> it was rejected. Oh, oh well. <laughs> no, I've got you know, a few of those. And, and and we just continued making a second film, which was what was going on at the time. Right. And um, when we were halfway done with the second film, a film we call Longevity, we received a letter from that same festival telling us, you know, we, we had second thoughts. We we liked your film and if you come, we we'd like to show it. Oh, really? Okay. Reprieve. This is different. Yeah. I don't know anything about this. Sure. I don't know anything about any of this stuff. So we went to New York, which is where I'm from, New York City. Filmed it really well at the screening. And at the time, I told my colleague, I said, look, look, um, let's make a trailer of, of our film just in case somebody wants to see it. And what's the first question they ask you at when you're at a film festival? Well, at least one of the questions. At least the last question. Well, what's what's your film all about? Where can we find it? What's the trailer? The last question is, what are you doing next? Oh, that's, you know, for all the interviews I've been doing, that's at least half the people. That's been my go-to. Right. And I pull out the CD. It's right here. Do you want to see it? The crowd went nuts. And the programmers, which were Josh Corey and Miles Kane at the Brooklyn Underground Film Festival, they played it. They played the trailer and the people went crazy. And they were like, wow. Um... When your film's done, please please send it please in. Submit it. Right. Submitted. And would you believe CNN International was there covering another film who which was a favorite? And we beat the favorite in the audience. No room. kidding. And they said, look, why don't you let us know when you make your next film? We'd love to come down and watch you guys work your magic. Wow. They followed us for three years as we as we made a movie called Planet X Part Two, The Frozen Moon. That was turned into a documentary film, which we thought was going to be a clip in a bunch of other films. Instead, it was an entire film about us. No kidding. And it debuted at Tribeca, the Tribeca Film Festival. No kidding. We had more news coverage than anybody else. Wow. And Michael Moore saw the film and went nuts. He tweeted we were in his top five. And that created a cascade three-year festival run at some of the best festivals in the world. When it was all over, Mm -hmm. I figured... What's the best thing we can do? And I said to myself, we don't have any sci-fi in South Florida. Let's make a sci-fi film festival. And that's how Misi Fee was born. So you went from rejected to festival circuit superstars. Now you're giving back with your own festival. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. 
Forgive the interruption. Hi, I'm Mike. Hi, I'm Kylan. Hi, I'm Eric. And we are Mighty Marvel Geeks. Mighty Marvel Geeks is your award-winning show about all things Marvel. With news, rumors, commentary, and interviews covering movies, comics, and all points in between. We'll also have our recommendations on what to pick up each week on New Comic Book Day, as well as a weekly pick from New Marvel Unlimited. Find us online at MightyMarvelGeeks.net. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your favorite podcast. That's Mighty Marvel Geeks. And remember, we are Groot. Cross the rainbow bridge of Asgard, where the booming heavens roar. You'll behold in breathless wonder, the God of thunder, mighty Thor. All right, so this must be a month of trailers or something. Because the Super Bowl showed a new trailer for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier with our first look of Sharon Carter for the first time since Civil War and Baron Zemo, or just Zemo, I don't know if he's calling himself Baron here, wearing a purple mask that people are theorizing could be, like, it's symbolizing Thanos, I guess? Like, I guess that's the villain sort of martyr hero person for because he's the guy who actually managed to successfully beat the superheroes. I mean, for about five years, and then he got his head chopped off, and then, you know, his past self got dusted. But, oh, spoilers if you actually haven't seen Endgame yet. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting, though, because I wonder if it's, like, in society in 2023-2024, where it is, like, Thanos is a symbol to all the superhero haters and in general society it's like Thanos imagery symbolism whatever is just really offensive similar to certain things in this world with imagery and symbolism that are pretty much generally regarded as offensive and we also got our look at Madripoor which leads some to speculating that, you know, mutants and X-Men and Fantastic Four and all of that good Fox stuff is around the corner because Magipore does play a major part as a setting in X-Men comics throughout the times. And then on the 12th, there will be a new sort of docuseries, kind of like Disney Gallery's The Mandalorian, called Marvel Studios Assembled. And the first episode will be about the making of WandaVision and... The series throughout will be covering behind the scenes of all sorts of different MCU shows and movies that you already know and love. Of course, the week after that will be the premiere of Falcon and Winter Soldier on March 19th. And on Valentine's Day, it was a very nice Valentine's Day, finally got a trailer for Justice League The Snyder Cut. Or as they call it, Zack Snyder's Justice League, I guess. But the real takeaway, besides the fact that this looks a hell of a lot better, with of course appearance from the dark side and possible showing of new gods, is the appearance of Jared Leto's Joker for the first time since 2016 Suicide Squad, where he appears in a sort of nightmare with a K sequence saying, We live in a society where honor is a distant memory which was just hilarious to me and the rest of the internet because that's such an obvious poke at those Joker memes that have been going around where it has a picture of usually Heath Ledger's Joker and it sort of intentionally, not intentionally, misquotes him as saying, we live in a society where... And then it follows suit with some sort of pseudo-deep commentary on society. So 
very, very hilarious of them to just add that in. Oh, and a little side thing back on the Marvel side. Jessica Jones and Punisher, whose last seasons were in 2018 on Netflix, are now back with Marvel, so more stuff to look forward to here as we get deeper and deeper into the 2020s and farther away from 2020. And something coming back that we missed in 2020 is SC Comic Con, and there are guidelines and such that they'll be following for safety. TD Convention Center usually runs at or is running at 50% capacity for events they've held the last few months, but SC Comic Con's decided to play it even safer and go with 40% capacity, and attendees cannot just come in and out. If you do leave the center for any reason, you'll have to go to the back of the line. There are, will be no panels or the cosplay contest. There will be hand sanitizing stations all around. The HVAC systems will be adjusted to maximum airflow. There'll be increased frequency of cleaning and sanitizing in all public spaces and contact surfaces. And there's more measures that you can read at facebook.com slash sccomicon. And they also announced their first guest as All Elite Wrestling's TNT champion, Darby Allen, aka Young Sting. I just decided like that's his rap name or something. But yes normally place that in the Ring of Thunder, but considering this has to do with SC Comic-Con, then I think anything SC Comic-Con related perfectly fits well into Thunder Talk, because I like to consider SC Comic-Con like the mother of Thunder Talk. It gave birth to Thunder Talk, and Dragon Con just, you know, raised and mentored us, compared to like, you know, SC Comic-Con is like the Magda Maximoff, of Thunder Talk, if Thunder Talk was a reality-altering witch. Dragon Con was like Bova the talking cow caretaker slash comic book version of Agatha Harkness. And Thunder Talk is, of course, a reality-altering witch. So that's a little deep comic reference that, you know, you'll have a base understanding of if you just watch WandaVision. But yeah, definitely uh, dig deeper into the comics that WandaVision is inspired by, such as... Uh, the Vision comic from 2015, I want to say, by Tom King, and also Vision and the Scarlet Witch from 1985, either 82 or 85. There's two versions. There's like a mini series where it sort of covers the first issue is a really awesome Halloween issue where Wanda ends up fighting the druid god Samhain that Halloween and fall rituals are inspired by. It's kind of like an anthology where you also they're also helping their father, quote-unquote father, before they found out that Magneto was their father. Robert Frank, the wizard, helped them uh, get his son Nuclo back, and then... What is the third one? Oh yeah, dealing with uh, Simon Williams, Wonder Man, whose brainwaves were put into the Vision to create the Vision as we know it. And then the fourth issue where Magneto finds out the truth about Wanda and Pietro, and then comes up to Adelan because Quicksilver is married to Crystal of the Inhumans royal family, then pretty much he's like, hey, I'm your father. And they're like, oh, okay. Lots to dive into comics-wise, if you're loving WandaVision at all. Let us know. Are you not enjoying WandaVision? Let us know. Thundertalkpodcast at gmail.com. Thundertalkpod on the socials. HTTPS colon slash slash thundertalk.org. And while you're at it, drink, fight, and make your ancestors proud. Up and coming horror and sci-fi composer, Justin Snicker, a.k.a. Dr. Snick 
How you doing tonight? I'm very good. You're in the running this year at the 2021 uh, Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival's Music Score Competition. I heard the track. It's banging. Thank you. Tell us about this particular piece and how you, you got attached with the, the, the film that's associated with it. Um, the piece is actually a modal jazz song, which I actually wrote uh, when I was in college. And um, a few years ago, I got more into electronic writing. So I decided to reuse the song and just redo it completely in an electronic format. I guess I'm plagiarizing myself. Uh, oh, well, I won't tell if you don't. <laughs> Uh, the unique thing about the Miami sci-fi was they had this, the music contest actually involved them supplying you with the video. Oh, interesting. Okay. And you attach your music to it. So I had to edit the video a little bit. So it's interesting. So, so the, the, the festival sent you various clips to choose from. You put music to that. Yes. So, so this competition, they're, they're really out there. They're, they're looking for new musical uh, film composition talent. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I thought it was a very unique thing because my main focus is horror music and I'm submitted to a lot of those festivals. Right. There's only a handful that actually have music only, but it's usually you just send the song. Sure. That's it. Okay. Well, tell us about some of these other festivals, your other work. Oh, I'm I'm actually fairly new to uh, the whole film festival idea. I put a Halloween video out. It's it's a song, an original called It's My Halloween Party. You can die if you want to. (laughs) That's right, Dr. Sick. (laughs) Come on in. We're going to get smashed. (laughs) So I'm really promoting this video. It's a very psychedelic 70s videotape look. And I'm promoting it through as many of these horror festivals as I can find. Okay. Especially I targeted ones that are coming up in October towards Halloween. So. Sure, that's that's the season. So, so the title of the clip. I'm wondering if it's also the title of the composition, Machine. Yeah, that's the name of the song. So. Okay, that's what I thought. How can Doctor Snick connect with the world through our interview? My stuff is available on Bandcamp under the name Dr. Snick. Uh, I have my own website. Uh, it's a, what's this, a Wix site? Yeah, I'm, I'm frustratingly familiar a bit with Wix. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I'm on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff. But the, the music itself is definitely available at Bandcamp. And on iTunes, you know, I do it through CD Baby as well, so it goes to all the, the outlets. Spotify and all that. Good luck with the festival. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited. It's an amazing opportunity. His Star Wars fan film, The Path of the Greys, is a submission to this year's Miami International Film Festival. Joshua Vanthoff from the Netherlands. Hello. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is really great. It was my pleasure. My pleasure. Now, it's... uh, it's a little later over there than it is here. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's uh, now past two o'clock at night. But uh, for me, that's really not a problem. I'm quite a night crawler anyway. So <laughs> you and me both, man. Maybe, uh, maybe we'll we'll become uh, late night pen pals. For <laughs> all of this. <laughs> sounds good. That sounds great. One of the lines in the trailer states, "To create life is to possess life." Tell us a little bit about. Paths of the Grey. 
The story is written by a friend of mine who's also the lead actor, Rick Evenhuis. He wanted to focus on the legend of the Sith, what is being told by Palpatine in the Revenge of the Sith. Right. That uh, Master Plagueis, he um, could influence the Force in such a way so that he could prevent death. Right. And to revive others or himself. And this legend was never focused on in any film of the the canon films. No, you're right. It was and, referenced. There, there is the Darth Plagueis novel. Yeah, exactly. But beyond that, they really haven't explored that further. Well, maybe in the last film. Uh, okay. But it's not being set in in such a specific way. Right. Right. Um, so this was kind of a new thing that was added, uh, that was uh, being um, put into the story. Possess life to control death. That triggered me to, yeah, this is really cool to, to focus on because it's a new kind of Star Wars film then. Right. And so I decided to make it a little bit more dark and a little bit more serious and mysterious instead of the playfulness that Star Wars films usually have. Right. So some people might be surprised that when they see the trailer, hey, what is this? And then all of a sudden there's a lightsaber. Oh, this is a Star Wars film. <laughs> yeah, it has, it has an unassuming vibe to it. Then all of a sudden, and we know we're, we're right in it. What inspired you to make a fan flick? Uh, it's just because my friend came with a story, actually. And well, years ago, we actually made a, uh, an, an experimental film called Duellum. Okay. Um, this was just an experimental film with two of us, uh, with just the two of us fighting each other with a, lo a lot of lightsabers and guns and stuff. Okay. Just to experiment for ourselves. Hey, um, what can we do with special effects and, and everything like that? And years later, so my friend came with a story and um, yeah, to make something serious out of this. Because usually I'm not into fan films at all. This is my only fan film that I've made. Um, but yeah, I wanted to give it a go. It was a challenge, but uh, I wanted to do it. And it was a challenge because... You know, you can easily um, being seen as just two guys trying to kill each other with lightsabers and just like um, something funny. Right. But uh, yeah, I I'm glad I did because it was a fun project and it, uh, it pays off. You know, it's in at film festivals. So uh, what else can we expect from you in the future uh, as a filmmaker at large? I'm also having an, uh, a big documentary film in editing right now. And this is something completely else. And this is about uh, the Second World War. Okay. Um, and I'm usually focusing on the Second World War with my documentaries. And if I would focus only on that, I think I will become mentally depressed eventually. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> to have short films like a fan film like this or something else, uh, you know, what's I, what I equally like, it kind of balances everything out emotionally. So both are like... It's like a breath of fresh air. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And the Star Wars film was definitely that, but you know, it was really a, it was a lot of headaches, you know, the lightsabers and the special effects. Well, you know, the more you do it, uh, the more you learn, the easier it gets, or at least that's what <laughs> they tell me. I haven't, I haven't figured that out yet. Well, me neither, actually, because I, I'm reluctant to to start another sci-fi film of Star Wars. Or, I mean, a fan film of Star Wars with uh, lightsabers. Maybe the next one will be without lightsabers. Yeah, just all all you know, it'll it'll be all talking. Just two stormtroopers talking. <laughs> it doesn't always have to be a Star War, okay? Yeah, can't exactly. it? Can't it just be like a Star? Eh. 
<laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Just without the wars, just stars. Without the wars. We don't need the wars. Just give us some stars. That's right. That's right. That's nice. Joshua, where can everybody find your work out on the internet? How can people support you uh, through your social medias and whatnot? How, how can everyone go out there and find you? Thank you. Uh, my work is uh, easily being found uh, with the name Apostrophe Cinema. And this is uh, the name of the website, Instagram and Facebook. Apostrophe with an F. So which is okay. the Dutch variant of apostrophe cinema. So that's okay. it. Dot uh, com. And on Instagram, you can just tag it or find it. So, yeah. <laughs> well, Joshua, it has been a real pleasure speaking with you tonight. Uh, certainly good luck with the festival. And we look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you so much, Dan. It was really great to, uh, to uh, be invited on your show. And uh, good luck with everything. Well, thank you. It was great having you. Thank you very much. Hello. Have you ever wondered how much Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster sold Superman's rights to DC for? Or which uh, popular football star was Sam Wilson the Falcons' physical appearance based on? You can find all that and more at the History of Comic Books podcast, a podcast dedicated to the creators, events, history, and the companies that made the great comic book medium. Hosted and created by your friendly neighborhood, J.T. Wheatley. Please give it a listen at iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, and all our podcasting platforms. Thank you, and go ahead and enjoy yourself a good comic book. Where can people go online? Where can we find the festival? How can people give the festival their money in exchange for admittance? Sell it. The best way, the most direct way is sci-fi-miami.eventive.org. Or you can go to sci-fi-miami.com and you'll be redirected to misifi.com. Right. And on misifi, which is M-I-S-C-I-F-I.com, on that, that's our main website. There is the check-in page to to the um, Sci-Fi Miami Event.org page. The Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival, March 9th through the 14th. Get your tickets. Troy, Troy is going to be there. You heard him here. You want more Troy? Go there. Mark and Dan, you love us. If you love us, then you love the Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival. Come on. We're all over social media, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're really easy to find. I'm really easy to find. Get at it, people. And, and hey, and if you can't find Troy, you come ask me and I'll find him for you. <laughs> it's my pleasure to introduce tonight writer, producer, and director Stephanie Diane Ford and her film, The Black Baptism. Stephanie. Welcome. Good evening, Dan. Thank you for having me on the show. Thanks for speaking with us tonight. When I first saw the trailer for The Black Baptism, I was absolutely floored. The fifth time I watched the trailer, I was uh, just completely blown away. Could you give our audience an idea, a summary of The Black Baptism? Absolutely. Um, so The Black Baptism is a, a fantasy sci-fi uh, thriller um, about a, a young woman that's imprisoned um, by an unknown group of uh, individuals. Um, and the sci-fi element comes in um, because they're using some kind of advanced technology and psychological techniques to um, hold her there. 
Um, and she has to pass a series of kind of three tests um, in order to escape. And it's kind of just an existential journey for the protagonist. Speaking of the protagonist, Amethyst Davis's performance as the prisoner is an absolute masterpiece, along with Cindy Davis as the first. Why haven't I seen Amethyst accepting an Oscar yet? How, how, <laughs> how do the two of you connect for this project? We certainly are speaking that into existence, but yes, I mean, that, uh, the performances, Amethyst, you know, work in the lead role because, you know, it was, you know, really, um, kind of a portrait character study to a certain extent. Um, and then Cindy, Cindy coming in, you know, really strong in that supportive role of the first, um, these are just two kind of emerging up and coming actresses. I've worked with Amethyst before, kind of regionally in this kind of Southeast film corridor. And so um, that was, you know, my previous kind of experience with her on set um, and her look uh, prompted me to reach out to her just about reading for the audition. Um, but she's continuing to work. I think she just got a really great uh, national commercial and I'm just looking forward to hearing from her in the future. I mean, you know how it is in the acting world. Um, you know, it's just kind of that, you know, breakout type role. So hopefully um, we'll be hearing more from her at Cindy as well in the future. Please give that actor an Oscar. <laughs> I will tell her. Thank you. Please, please do. Open the door! So on the film's website, the genres listed for the Black Baptism are thriller, fantasy, sci-fi, and Afrofuturism. Sure. I was speaking to Mark McRae about your film earlier. He's a host here on Thunder Talk. Uh, plus, he and I have another show based on his book, The Best Saturdays of Our Lives. We're also doing a couple of panels here at the festival, and I promise this isn't uh, a gratuitous plug. <laughs> for all his years working in television, with few exceptions... Uh, he hasn't observed a pronounced African-American presence on the sci-fi end of the film industry. Could, could you speak to that? Sure. Um, you know, I still have a lot to learn from about cinema and film from the historical context. Um, but I think um, it's, you know, one of those kind of things, you know, on the cultural end um, and also, um well, sticking to that cultural context, I guess just how, you know, who's behind the scenes, who's behind the camera, who's, you know, above the line that are mm -hmm. kind of shaping these stories and writing these stories. And I guess, you know, part of me, um, we all know, you know, the political and social context of race, but part of it um, for me is also um, just who's, you know, creating these stories and developing them and what's authentic. So for me, of course, it's all, it's more authentic or realistic or, you know, something that I can relate to writing about Black women or placing them in these stories and, and things like that. And I think sometimes with other groups, um, you know, a lot of people just, if, if their world isn't full of, you know, African-American faces, Black faces or diverse faces, they may not you know, project that into any future, you know, vision they might come up with or, or things like that. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, I think also with sci-fi, um, another barrier, you know, especially for um, Black people and, um, you know, opportunities in the film industry is just that financial barrier. I mean, let's be honest, it's a barrier for everyone, sure. even in indie. Um, but we do know, um, you know, other groups, white groups, obviously, you know, you know, have more access to those resources so they can get things done more. So that's the other thing. Fantasy and sci-fi is going to add to your budget. It's going to add to your bottom line because you're if you're working with effects and those visuals and that's going to make it harder to produce that genre um, versus, you know, even horror where you got to get into more makeup and gore and stuff, right. you know, um, costuming. Um, you know, so that adds more to the bottom line for that genre versus, you know, trying to do a simple drama or, you know, comedy or things like that. Um, that's my take on it now, currently. <laughs> All who survive find the courage in the face of fear. In that moment, you will know the truth. The truth. I am the dark waters. The Black Matter. You've just been on fire. The Black Baptism has just been burning the entire festival circuit down. What, what kind of response have you been getting from the audiences? Overall, very, um, very positive. Overall, um, just in terms of audience, and I mean, and you know, just the response, um, it has been really positive. Um, people um, just like, I guess, the approach to the story, um, and they, they really like the psychological aspect, but they feel like the pacing and rhythm uh, work very well with, in terms of her being in the prison and then like action happening and, you know, the story um, beats and things like that. So, you know, sometimes stuff can get too cerebral, you know, too boring and things like that, but they felt like I dropped in action or, um, you know, plot, plot beats at the right moment. Um, What else? Um, I think, uh, Definitely being in the South, I've, you know, it, not really common. I can just think of it like count on one hand, folks that, you know, kind of had um, a questionable or maybe negative response because I'm saying that God is, you know, a woman or, you know, I'm, I'm visual, you know, I'm embodying God and, you know, Cindy, the actress as a black woman and um, just, you know, here in the South, the Bible Belt. Some folks, um, you know, may have, you know, interpreted that a, cer- a certain way or didn't like the usage of that. But, you know, we've seen that in movies a tons of times, sure. you know, um, Morgan Freeman being God, mm-hmm. um, you know, things like that. So um, that's about it. But people, I mean, people, yeah, I mean, just people really liked it. I think they felt what I was trying to do, kind of the the bigger scale in terms of taking things to the outer space level and stuff like that and her journey. And so they, even though, you know, it wasn't a huge production set pieces and um, of course it's my first ever film. So a lot of mistakes and lessons learned, but I still, people's kind of feedback, you know, they still kind of felt that journey, you know, kind of a, epic journey like the hero's journey type of uh, storyline let me out right now there is no way out there's no escaping death unless you are willing to face it where can everybody find the black baptism out there on the internet uh, social media all that Absolutely. So um, the best thing to do is to go to the website, theblackbaptism.com. 
www.thepowerofthenow.com. And um, please definitely follow, you know, like, share on social media. All the social media links are on that site. Um, but also on Facebook and Instagram, um, their pages, The Black Baptism, and also on Instagram and Twitter, um, just overall production company, Me and 5D, that's M-E-I-N, the number 5D Films, if you want to kind of connect and get news and the latest updates on, you know, screenings for The Black Baptism, as well as the next projects we're working on, because I'm working on the backstory about how she got into the prison, Mm. and I'm coming up with some interesting ideas. (laughs) So cool. Prequel. The film is The Black Baptism. Stephanie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Dan. And I look forward to enjoying uh, the Thunder Talk. You've always had the power. I, I just did 10 interviews over the course of 12 hours. Kavika, Beth, how did your interview go? Uh, it went great, I thought. We don't have the thousand yard stare vocally that I think that you do right now. So I'm sure all the other interviews are going to be just as interesting. Uh, Anthony, you you, uh, you took three interviews because you mm-hmm. love me three times as much. As two people combined, so <laughs> that's true. That's so, so, true. so you're winning right now. Yeah, they went well. I felt really good about it. I mean, I got to talk some sci-fi and space stuff, and I got to talk hey. some fan fiction and dating apps. I mean, that one was that one could have gone a lot of different directions, but I feel good <laughs> yeah. about it. Excellent. Very cool. Very cool. Well, gosh, I had such an amazing day with very incredible people. As Dan reaches up and grabs a spotlight. Yeah, right? <laughs> I was trying to sell most of them my script, actually. <laughs> the Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival. Check it out. You heard from Mark and I earlier because Mark and I have a panel at this thing. Mark has two panels at this thing. I'm in one of them. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you want to order copies of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives, you can go to my website, which is the initials of my book, tbsool.com, and I will send you a signed copy. And I will also throw in a couple of stickers and magnets to put on your fridge. And of course, you can find Dan Klink and I on The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast, available on all podcasting. My Twitter handle is McTsoul, M-C-T-B-S-O-O-L. My Instagram handle is Instagram, Best Saturdays of Our Lives. I mean, my Instagram handle is the Best Saturdays of Our Lives. (laughs) Buy the book. Head on over to... M-I-S-C-I-F-I dot com. Boom, right there. Tickets are on sale. Those <laughs> tickets are waiting for you. Go grab up one of those tickets, kiss it gently, and say, I'm very proud of you. And check out an amazing week of sci-fi. And thank you guys so much for allowing me to be a part of this. And I am excited to further my aspirations. I'd love to just sneer at you and go, you're welcome. But in all honesty, <laughs> I was I was opening the door for you. In all in all you honesty, just step you, you, on you saved my ass. Oh yeah, welcome to Thunder Talk, pal. That's the formula. See, this guy listens. This guy knows. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. That's how it works. Mwah. 
Beth, where can everybody find you out there on the internet? Um, uh, they can find me at Twitter at Oklahoma. Um, I haven't been streaming for a minute just because of life and the puppy, but I will get back to streaming. And when that comes, it's twitch.tv slash Oklahoma. You can find Sexy Thor over at the Ring of Thunder podcast, which is my own little crazy special brand of wrestling podcasting. And you can find me on the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Just kidding. Just kidding. Thunder Talk Thor. All one word. Just hit me up. Actually give me a useful reason to hop on those socials. Don't let the Baron feed dispel you or anything. I will actually interact with you the Thunderverse, if you interact with me. I mean, it literally beats any of the other options I have on there anyway. So yeah, talk to me. And also, listen to Ring of Thunder. Boom. Kavika. You can find me on Twitter at K2SayRamblesOn. I tweet stuff at you, with you, around you, or about you, probably. Uh, Sometimes I moderate for uh, Twitch channels, and you can find me on whatever shows will take me at a particular given time. So here and there moderator at large ever. This is going out to the world. Kabika. If anybody needs somebody to mod- moderate their Twitch, Kabika will moderate the shit out of it. <laughs> so Anthony, um, I see other people post to your Facebook. I am almost off the grid. I have almost scrubbed my social security number. So I currently have no internet findings. Facebook's a front. Yeah, yeah. You can go creeping through my Facebook, but that's <laughs> that's the, the the man. The picture you'll see is way more handsome than this than this dude actually is. <laughs> but my goal, I will start to um, tippy toe in the waters of the internet. So, give everybody your home address right now. <laughs> yeah, and my my previously scrubbed social security number and my bank accounts. You know what? Just what's your mom's maiden name? That's all. <laughs> what street did I grow up in? What was the name of your first pet? That's all. That's all they want to know. and this is once again your friendly neighborhood host jt wheatley if you would like to listen to my podcast history of comic books please check it out on any of uh, your uh, regular uh, podcast uh, listening apps uh, itunes speaker stitcher himalaya and so forth and also uh, give my facebook history of comic books podcast page a like and uh, you can catch me up on also twitter at history of comics and uh, i'm on instagram history of comics podcast Thank you, and uh, and please enjoy Dunder Talk. We want to thank the Miami International Sci-Fi Film Festival for uh, letting us be a part of their show. We especially uh, would like to thank Troy Bernier for giving us this uh, opportunity to hobnob and and associate with and be able to go and be able to tell the world, hey, I actually talked to that person. Good luck to all of the participants from all of us at Thunder Talk, to all of you. Live long and prosper. (laughs) Thunder Talk is a production of the Weirdos Workshop. Starring Troy Bernier, Razan Takash, Ganu Benton, Randy Slavin, Diego Rossi, Heather Halstead, Al Schneider, Jim Evans, Justin Snicker, a.k.a. Dr. Snick, Joshua Vantoff, Marcus Hanish, Edward Douglas, Tyler Council, Samantha Brennan, Damian Donnelly, T.L. Westgate, Mark Lombard, Ren Chow Wang, Stephanie Diane Ford, Anthony Arbizo, 
Kabika Allo, Mark McRae, Beth Allo, Adam Wedston, JT Wheatley, and Dan Klink. If you want to find us on social media, we are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ThunderTalkPod. Our email address is thundertalkpodcasts at gmail.com. Drink, fight, and make your ancestors proud. Um, yeah, so, uh, you want to kill it? Anything else you guys want to do? <laughs> you're, you're, you were done, dude. You were <laughs> just, you, you were toast. <laughs> this has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.